He went to E3. Uh, did he? Did he like it? He enjoyed it. He played an interesting cell phone game where you like learn to dance by holding. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I keep thinking of getting that, but the idea was trying to do that in the space that I have in my uh, bedroom seems like it's built built for disaster. Oh, I think you should do it outside. No, I think you should do it in the worst space possible. Get the no. true, authentic experience. We should go to a park and play it. Also, there's lots of, like, twirling and stuff. Are you up for it? I mean, I can certainly get it. I'm not embarrassed to twirl in a park with you. I wouldn't twirl. We'll do it in my place. We don't have to do it in a park. <laughs> I'm, I would not do it in a park. Aww. Would not, could not in a park. <laughs> would not, could not on a lark. <laughs> Welcome to Abnormal Mapping episode 16. I'm your host, Matthew Marka. With me is usual co-host Jackson Tyler. Hello, everyone. Hello. And returning third chair, Destiny Sturdivant. I'm the Brecken. You already said that. You can't it's say that. My, do, 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 it's do. my, my, my sign-on. No, you can't. Okay. You need... Can, do you want me to redo it? No. We'll just keep it this time and I'll be sad. <sighs> <laughs> As you might have guessed from how sloppy this nonsense is, this is a cool soge. <laughs> Wait, don't I host those? Yeah, but you're overworked. So I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've just remembered that. That's normally my job. Oh my god. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is skillfully done, exposing ourselves as the greatest podcast over here. I mean, we can start this all over if you want to host it, but I assumed you didn't. I don't care, okay. but I literally forgot. I did actually forget. Great. You're both ridiculous. No, yeah, we thanks. have a little behind the scenes. We're recording Trashback Ratio tomorrow on the 13th, and that posts on the Ides, which is the 15th, and so Jackson's going to be in a death march of recording and editing in like a day. Recording that, editing that, dealing with Kyle's microphone. Yep, so I, I assumed I would just take over this time. Uh... Yeah, go, yeah, go on. Okay. Yeah. Alright. I mean, you are the leader in this sense of the new venture. Uh, I, I'm the cloud? Yeah. Okay. No. Are you, yes, if you're the cloud. The, I'm back. If you're the cloud. I'm just yelling at you saying, we don't need a leader! I'm the leader! Curse words! <laughs> I have guns on my hands! And, well, uh, one. Destiny is our, uh, Red 13. I have a dad. Dad issues. Yep. <laughs> I have yeah. a lot of hair. <laughs> so what? Uh, we'll get to that because what we're here primarily <laughs> to talk about today is Final Fantasy VII. But what? What's everybody else been playing? Tell me about your month of video games that aren't Final Fantasy or, in Jackson's case, Dishonored. I've been playing uh, when? Sims Three. Oh yeah, yeah, you have. Uh, do you want me to talk about it, or do you want to go first? No, no, go ahead. Um, I played a little bit of The Sims 1. 
So tell me what The Sims 3 is about as someone who doesn't know anything about The Sims. So The Sims are back a third time around. <laughs> Does it say that when you load up the game? No, it doesn't. Well, okay, so The Sims 4 just came out, um, and Jackson was kind enough to hook me up with The Sims 3, because I finally have a computer that can run it, and what's changed since your day, Matt, is that it just looks a lot better, and your Sims have more uh, individual personalities. Um, for instance, I started a family, the Moonsmith family, uh, Kumail and Lily, and uh, Kumail is a writer, he's family-oriented, he has a good sense of humor, he... Uh, loves books he's a bookworm lily on the other hand is a computer genius she likes to hack computers in her free time she is also a chef with ambition to be a superstar chef um she is also family oriented so they have three children uh and the children have personalities our oldest son remo is really into art and he's very outdoorsy our two twin daughters Merritt and maddie have um i'm embarrassing myself revealing these names uh <laughs> <laughs> who's the last person that tweeted they can be my sims name <laughs> yep uh the okay so maddie is kind of a loner and she's also a genius uh, which just means she learns skills faster than the other Sims. And Merritt is my athletic, uh, chess fan. She loves chess. She's super ambitious. Uh, and they're both, they're all students and they all come home and do their homework right away. They're very good children. Um, but yeah, like, so that's one big, huge difference. Like, they just, they're individuals instead of, um, you know, just these sort of. So- people you control (laughs) i understand that there's no like explicit win state because i'm not completely new but if they have like these goals what happens when you achieve them like do your sims like ascend or (laughs) do they they okay they they achieve what they want to and then they die yeah it's it's all in what you want to do with them before they die like for instance uh, this game specifically has lifetime goals so there's like Mm -hmm. a big overarching goal and then there's a bunch of tiny sub goals and then there is a there are little opportunities that pop up here and there that you can accomplish uh in a like a limited time uh for instance like befriending a specific sim or cooking a food and bringing it somewhere and you get money for those little goals then the uh moodlet related goals are like hmm let me think oh like you can kind of you'll get like a list pick from and you can kind of uh, select them here or there. So, like, let's say one of their goals is to hang out with a certain sim. You get that, and then you get these points called lifetime points that go into this bank, and if you get a certain amount of them, you can pick, like, little perks. Um, for instance, like, if you get a certain amount of points, you automatically uh, have a full blat or not a full bladder and empty bladder at all times so you never have to use the bathroom or you can up your fertility rate so you can have uh, a higher chance of having twins conceiving twins um 
you can learn skills faster, you can learn the traits of others faster to make stronger friendships. Like, those kinds of things can be purchased with the lifetime points. But you don't die or anything if you don't get them. They're just mini goals. But, but you will die regardless. You'll die regardless, and you might come back as a ghost. So, the the social manipulation part of The Sims sounds immediately kind of fun. The part where... You are trying to achieve things, but no matter what you do, your sims are going to keel over sooner or later. Sounds like the most existential dread in a video game. Well, that's life. You accomplish what you can before you die. <laughs> I don't think I should play The Sims. I mean, my sims are going to have beautiful, full lives. I'm really excited for them to... You keep artificially extending their lifespan so they can do everything they want and not have to make compromises. <laughs> that's true! true i adjusted their lifespans well honestly this is why i did it i Uh i expanded the adult lifespan because i didn't want them to be too old like before the twins were born i wanted them to live long enough to have more children and i wanted to make sure that they weren't too old when their son reached uh at the time he was a baby and they were about to become elderly and I wanted them to still be able to um, raise him. Like, I didn't want them to die before he had grown up. And yeah. uh, we happen- we happened to have twins. And, yeah, I don't know. I have no regrets for extending their lifespans. But they're- I'm going to let them die naturally when their long lives are over. Because I'm ready for the yeah. kids to, you know... The version of this where you're just running a eugenics program is very upsetting to me. <laughs> That's the thing. When I was a kid and I played The Sims, I never thought of myself as a god or anything. I just was like, this is a dollhouse. I'm just playing. But I feel like playing it now, I always end up thinking of myself as this weird god. And I'm like, yes, I'll let you do that. No, I won't let you do that. Like, I let them get behind on their bills just to, like, let them... Ex- just to mess Yeah, they're up. rich. And I don't think they understand... Like, I, I used a cheat code, and I was, like, feeling kind of guilty, so I let them get behind on their bills. And I, yep. I think that that shows that, you know, they can't have everything they want. Okay. How do you find, like, the fact that The Sims 3 is covered in ridiculous microtransactions? Because uh, I loaded it up and was like, oh, God, the one, this game is massive. Two, everything is like, you could buy this for Sims money, or Sims points, 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 points. And as soon as like you bring in like real microtransactions into this fake contained capitalism that you have it kind of breaks everything down and reveals how pointless the whole thing is that's what gives me the existential really i want to point out that uh sims money is not real money but sims points is real money which is the grossest like social manipulation Uh, thing in the world always oh money in a game is not money the points is the money oh i ignore all that Do you want to stuff. spend the money using cash or Microsoft points? Yeah, no, I ignore it all because... Okay, when I signed up, I got 500 Sims points automatically. Woo! And I'm, like, saving them for I don't know what. Um, there was a interesting-looking expansion thing where you could give them African clothing and hairstyles, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll do that because a lot of my Sims are black and I would love to have more options for braids and stuff. But, like, that's the only thing that I could see myself spending money on because it's like this game isn't diverse enough. Like, it's really diverse, but, like, the hairstyles are pretty Eurocentric. Um, 
but yeah, no, I I ignore all that stuff. I think The Sims is one of is not very diverse at all. Well, like so, you can you make know. your sim really diverse, but in the end, yeah, you are sort of living this like materialistic, capitalistic, uh, heteronormative life, kind of no matter how you play. Yeah, like because like they added obviously they have a bunch of you know non heterosexual etc. Options, but they all feel like options into this fancy of you grow old, you have kids, you have a big house. This is what these are the goals you want from life, right? And you don't. I've never, to be perfectly honest with you, I've never played a Sims game where I didn't have kids. And I don't know if that's personal preference or the game pushing me. Because I will admit that I have, even though I don't really want kids in real life, I have a fun time. Uh, making these huge families and seeing how my sims take care of them and if it breaks them or not. Like, I really enjoyed the stress of having twin toddlers uh, amid all the other goals in the game. Like, she still had to get to work, but, you know, these toddlers were up crying all night with dirty diapers, and now she has to go to work tired, and it's ruining her overall goal of uh, getting promoted because she's going to work in a bad mood. Um, Well, that's what the sims does like it enforces this family unit and all of its systems are set up for uh about four or five people interacting with each other like a house with two people is fairly easy to run it's fairly uninteresting it just works yeah but it's when you introduce these different systems and because they the way they work like college into it and everything the aging uh works in that made to enforce this it's all meant you're it's meant to be you and your family in the suburban house. Like, that's what it is and where it came from and everything else kind of built uh, outside of that well, idea. Well, it's weird because they have this expansion pack that's like vampires and celebrities and bars, uh, the night, late night expansion. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I've never tried this, but I'm like, could I play as a single vampire who isn't living for all these things that the other sims are living for and do i have to have friendships like do i have to move up in the workforce like what can i can i just make money writing novels and painting and have enough to buy groceries like is that doable i want to try that's an experiment i do want to try in the future i think you should because Whilst the game's clearly set up to encourage a specific play state and built around this one idea, they're trying to at least allow these other options. I don't know how well they'll all work. You know what? I'm, at least they're kind I'm of. I'm gonna there. try it and I'll report back to you because it's actually a worthwhile uh, experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I'll go next because I know what Jackson was leading into, and I'll that I'll give yeah. him more room to work with that. Uh, yeah. I've been playing. Final Fantasy Curtain Call, or Theatrhythm Curtain Call, which is the second Final Fantasy Rhythm game for the Nintendo 3DS that just came out. Uh, and that game's been eating my life. Uh, I've played like 13, 14 hours of that so far, which is, I feel like, a lot for a rhythm game in general, much less a portable one, uh, where every song is a minute and a half long. Um, and if you don't know, the main draw of that is you get a party of four characters spanning the Final Fantasy games together, and you go on these randomly created quests of songs, and there's, like, battle songs, and there's, like, world map songs where you're trying to verse, traverse and get treasures by doing well, and uh, the style of play is a little different, and you level up and gain abilities and stuff, and so you just 
uh, rhythm, in the same way that Puzzle Quest was ostensibly an RPG wrapped around a match three game, this is an RPG wrapped around a rhythm game. And the rhythm Puzzle Quest has, Puzzle Quest has more story though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it would be terrible if Theatrhythm had a bunch of story. Cause the worst part of Puzzle Quest is it's a terrible story. Yeah, no, I agree. No, Theatrhythm was like, oh, there's forces of darkness. All the heroes have gathered to gain Rhythmia to restore music back to the world. Go. It just gives you a, a series of things to do or series of songs to play and a like large meta goal of getting, gaining, making your numbers go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all you need. The way that it makes your numbers go up, I think, actually does a lot better than the like setlist model of like the Plastic Instruments era, where... You know, you had to play through games to play through songs to unlock more songs, which I think is a bad choice in and of itself. Um, that was only the start of the Plastic Instruments era. By Rockman 2, they'd already gone away from that. I felt like you still needed to unlock stuff. There's a career progression. I guess. But the Rockman 2 way that worked was in the world tour thing. Yeah. Like, it was only really the first two Guitar Heroes where you were playing. I played Rock Band in the world tour mode, though, because that's like the main mode. Maybe Rock Band 1. I remember Rock Band 2 having everything unlocked. Hmm. I don't remember. But the general setup of, like, sets and, uh, like, gaining uh, money to buy new clothing and stuff, I just don't think is very fun outside of, like, the main... The flow should be to build you to play more songs. Even if you're replaying songs, like, don't feed out songs as, like, a novelty thing. Uh, because Theatrhythm mm-hmm. has them all unlocked at once. You can just go play a song. That's fine. But You just need a structure to the, the way yeah, you approach it. The structure them. feeds you songs, and you don't determine the order, and they just kind of unroll in front of you, and uh, you play them. I don't know. Uh, I like. I think not having that control actually makes the act of playing them more important, because it isn't mm-hmm. about, I love this song, so let's play this one. It's like, oh, well, let's go explore and see what songs are going to give us, and let's tackle them as best we can. And yeah. it focuses more on the play as the important thing. Uh, I, I admit that part of this is bolstered by the fact all the songs are of a type, being that 80% of them are Nobu Amatsu and the rest are people trying to be Nobu Amatsu after the fact. Wait, which ones aren't, didn't he compose all the, um, or did he leave at some point? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, Crystal Chronicles. He didn't do 10? Uh, he did a little bit of 10. Because, did he just stop working with Square at a point then? Yeah, more or less. He went independent. Right. I mean, he still works with them sometimes. Because I know he he did um, Blue Dragon yeah. in parts of Lost Odyssey. <laughs> but, like, uh, Ten has, like, three composers, and then the other two went on to do Ten Two by themselves, if I remember correctly. Huh. Okay. Uh, so th- The Thirteen music's pretty good. Yeah, but I don't think he did any music for that. Um, no, I just... It's, it's still good. Mm-hmm. Um... But they're, because they're all of a type, like, if I was playing, oh, uh, what, was it Guitar Hero World Tour that had that awful tool set list where you just had to play, like, four tool songs and by the end you wanted to die? <laughs> like, in the, uh, if I was just playing, like, a random set of songs that I didn't get to choose and they folded those dumb tool songs in, I would just quit the game. So admittedly, Theatre Them's helped by every song is, A, like, less than two minutes long because they take samples out of these game songs. And, B, all of them are of a similar type that I, I don't find any of them particularly offensive, even the ones I'm not as into. Uh, I don't feel Just as violently about them as I do, like, a general, like, rock band. That's a big catch-all. 
just halfway through this Final Fantasy game. Here, play this Rush album. <laughs> I would rather play Rush than Tool, but yeah. You, well, yeah, no shit, but... <laughs> I, I don't. I can't think of any other band more perfect shit on the tool though. Oh, it was so bad because they like we have this <laughs> special visualizer for this set, and it was just like awful, like faux psychedelic nonsense. It didn't even make sense for Tool as a band because that's not what they're about. When that came out, I tried to get into Tool and listen to them. I, I don't get. I don't to. get them either. But uh, that's all I've been playing in my spare time when I'm not playing games for videos. I guess I've been playing NeverEnding Nightmares also. I don't know if I really want to talk about that because Destiny's playing it. Uh, it's. I mean, you can watch the videos going up in 2018. No, the videos are going up. Uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out on Friday, the videos will have been out Monday through Thursday and they'll be done. Um, Wait. Okay, so you're holding Bioshock. Yeah, Bioshock. Uh, Halloween. I wanted to get these done before the end of October. Okay. Yes, Bioshock's pushed back till next week. Because you've got all that done. That's in the can, in the bank. Yeah, it's been in the bank for weeks now. Welcome to the backlog of my Let's Play. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You still haven't got to, you know, well done, fully rendered title screens. Um, no, that starts next week with uh, Bioshock and Final Fantasy. But uh, that game, Never Any Nightmares, is really good. It was a Kickstarter game uh, by Matt Gilgenbach. Gilgenbach. Yep. Um, it is a horror adventure game. I say adventure game because you're walking through environments and exploring, but there is no puzzle element. It is just walk through and be spooked and uh, enjoy the atmosphere. Um, trigger things to happen so yeah, the next thing. Yeah, it's incredibly yeah. light. Like, one time you have to break down a door, there's some enemies you have to hide from. Uh, <gasps> so spooky, but, though. Oh. Like, it's not the Resident Evil, like, get the eagle crest to open the eagle door and then go to a gate where you find three gems and, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> I was almost a Jill sandwich. Because <laughs> if it was that game, it would be insufferable. As it is, it's good. Uh, I, I feel like it's not... Uh, the most arresting thing. I think it puts its best foot forward and never quite lives up to it, except for one of the endings is the creepiest thing in the entire world. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It's a nice, pleasant thing. It's spooky, but not jump scary in a way that, uh, I find a lot of horror games really hard to play because they are so reliant on that kind of, uh, jump stuff, which I don't find mm-hmm. fun. I would rather just be, have dread and, not feel like I need to, like, hide. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's how I am with most horror stuff. Because mm-hmm. Dread's, te- like, actually terrifying. Yeah, but I enjoy but... Dread. Uh... Yeah. I don't enjoy... I mean, yes, I can... It's an emotion I can process, whereas being afraid that a thing's gonna go bang is a much more less... There's not an interesting sketch. Just you're just gonna go bang at some point, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't really want you to go bang. Yeah. But I guess you are. Mm-hmm. Please tune in for more of this discussion on the... F- well, it will be out for this month's Trashback Ratio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All horror all the time. That's true. Uh, but that's really all I've been playing, because I've been playing games for videos and games for... I mean, I played 7, I played Dishonored all the way through already, so you can check out uh, the Dishonored Halloween episode coming out on the 31st for that. That's not when Dishonored Halloween is. Yeah, this year it is. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of dread and horror stories, I went to EGX. So what is EGX, Jackson? 
Eurogamer Expo. Okay. It's, it's Are you like, a Eurogamer? I am. Is it affiliated with Eurogamer magazine? I think so. Is that a magazine store or is it just a it's website? It's a website. Okay. It's just a website. I think it, it used to be called Eurogamer Expo. Now it's just called EGX. The The ground floor is just a massive just... Neon lights, people shouting on stage. Oh, the stage shows are amazing because they've just hired PR people for each of like for there's one for Nintendo, one for Xbox, one for Sony, uh, and they're all just like, yeah, we're all here talking about games. Can I hear you cheer? Yeah, that's a good Mario cosplay out there. It's a surreal experience. But this isn't like packs where there's a lot of like lifestyle no. fun stuff, right? It's just the no, consumer side. It's just the consumer side. There's uh interesting games on the top floor where there's Rezzed, which is uh where like indie capital I games go. That's where your um Mike Biffle's showing his thing. I played Heat Signature, which is the new Tom Francis game, and chatted to Tom Francis about that. And that stuff was cool. And then there's the uh, what was called, what was it called? Some, the left field collection, right. which is where all the small games, like, were. And there's some, there was some really great stuff there, but most of that is just on itch.io that you can download. Like, uh, even the stars, which I recommend you all, all play. That's a game where you fly about space and explore the world or the universe. But there's a lesser emphasis on direct control. You're often typing commands to explore to new sectors. And it has a really nice feeling of detached loneliness as you flow throughout the stars. It's great. I have that to play for my uh, Sunday series at some point. It's very good. You sh- you would enjoy it a lot. Uh, and yeah, it was a strange. It was just a strange thing to go to. I wrote about more about my experience going rather than about many of the games. I wrote about some of the games, but it's that's a strange piece. I do them sometimes every six months. Apparently, it was a good piece. There was a. A ridiculous, beautiful moment of you and Callum, who was on the first episode of this podcast, which we recommend you don't listen to. But it's not a good episode of this podcast. We were finding it's our not feet. Not that bad, you guys. It's I've I've been listening to old episodes of us. <laughs> I have opinions. <laughs> I I actually think there's good stuff in it, but admittedly, it is rough, especially just from an audio quality standpoint. My word, we've gotten a lot better. High five, everyone! Yay. No, it'll peak the mics. Nope. Oh, I and then I've been playing um Clicker Heroes, <laughs> which... So, Cookie Clicker is a thing that was big last year, um, built on stuff like Candy Box. It's just a game where you click a things to make numbers go up. It's just RPGs distilled into their most basic form. Candy Box and A Dark Room are different in that they present themselves as that, but then quickly unfold into something else. Mm. They present themselves as that, and then they have secrets to discover and like things to explore. Because a dark room becomes a roguelike and a shooter, and... Yeah. No, a dark room is uses that format to go off into the most wild of places. Whereas this adds some RPG mechanics, like it adds powers and cooldowns, but everything is only with the sole purpose of making that one number as high as possible. Uh, and it adds a mechanic where, if depending on how high you get, you get a certain amount of points that means when you restart, you go faster and you can go further. It is a nothing game that I can't just stop. I keep alt-tabbing to it every so often. I'm going to check. I'm loading up right now. Clickerheroes.com. 
I I have um uh fifty one thousand four hundred and twenty five <laughs> uh, non Ilian gold. Oh my god. And I'm on my fourth world ascension. So Does it ever end? Is there actually an end or there is no end. There are different modes of play. So at first you're clicking and you're trying to get as hard as possible. And then when you reset, it becomes about resetting as much as you can, gaining all these souls so that your percentage goes up. And you can spend these souls on either gilding different heroes, which gives specific bonuses, uh, or summoning these things called ancients, which I haven't done yet. And that's how you get into like the real high level stuff. Cause I'm on like level 147 with no way of getting more damage. But apparently you can get to, like, level 2,000 with uses of Ancients. So there's stuff there, but it's all empty, just make the numbers go higher. And So why do you why do you play it? Is it just the animal, like, hit the button, get a reward yeah. thing happening? I could, I could, I could make that number bigger. <laughs> that number could always be bigger, Matt. But you're playing, a, like, good RPGs with story and world and stuff. Why do you care about this also? I don't care about this. <laughs> then why do you spend time on it? Look, I have no answers that are satisfying. <laughs> this whole point of this podcast is to provide answers to the hard questions. These are the hard questions. Why do you, like, why do you actually give a shit? I don't give a shit. I, I don't, it's purely the animal, I want the numbers to go high thing. There's nothing, there's no actual but game you, from this. But you're not playing Progress Quest. Good point. That's not the same thing. Progress Quest is not satisfying. You're not clicking to do anything. There is just enough, like, active things in this like the way you use powers to get past bosses because every five level there is a boss with more uh health than the monsters that make up the other levels and there's a time limit so you can't just let it run and you'll get more and more and more things because there are like limits you have to break through to then exponentially increase the level you're working on so there is more but it's not worth anything really i played a little bit of this i Lasted maybe what my tree twenty minutes, twenty minutes before mm-hmm. I was like, I can't get it. There's no point. I can't do it. I can't. And I'm a fan of sort of mindless things where yeah, all you're doing is watching numbers go up. But I couldn't get anything out of it. It's, it's just I have to click with delete data at some point because otherwise I will never stop. <laughs> I have to force myself. This is a bad scene, and I have my tree boost is level nine hundred ninety six. I'm four levels away from the ten times boost. It's very. Exciting. <laughs> it's not very exciting. That sounds like horrifying. I'm horrified of myself, of what I've become. <laughs> you could be doing so many other things with that time. I am gonna activate. I'm gonna roll my hotkey bar from like eight to one, and activate all the powers. It'll be great. Here we go. Oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> I'm going it's it's this is help me. Is it visually Please interesting? No! Like have you lo- looked at the game? No, not at all. Okay, so on one side of the screen is the list of the powers and the list of the level up and thing, and the other side is a single enemy with a health bar and numbers come off them like you're attacking them in Diablo or something. Uh and gold drops out of them. Great. So it like is just Taking a game like that, removing all the other elements, and just giving you the numbers and the buttons, and it's dangerous. Okay. Yeah, I'm never going to play this. I'm never going to look <laughs> at it. Smart. 
have to close this because this is this is bad. Yeah, this don't do that. Bad. You're not allowed to click through the rest of this podcast. I you don't at some point you don't click because the DPS is way better than yeah. The clicking. You stop clicking and it just goes and goes and goes. It's then it is just progress quest. No, because you upgrade different things to break through different limits. Oh. Like, that's the thing that makes this more interesting or more uh, more interesting. Hooky. Not more interesting, it that hooks more than cookie clicker, because cookie clicker is a straight line of numbers going up. Whereas this gives like limits to break through and once you get to certain levels then you can do the next thing. It's devious. It is. It's it bad. Is. And you recognize this and were like, This is bad, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I did, and and it uh says a lot because I'm usually not the type. I will keep going. <laughs> and then I Skyped the next morning saying, So I left that game on all night. <laughs> Gaining gold. <laughs> uh, and now it's 12 days later. Great. Do you think they made the game to see how far people would go? Yeah. There are, achi- there are There is a whole subreddit dedicated to mining the secrets and the most efficient way to play this oh game. Oh my goodness. To get to the milestones. But it never, like, turns a leaf and becomes, like, a metagame, right? Like... It's still just clicking and waiting and clicking and waiting and stuff. What do you mean a metagame, though? Like, Candy Box, I think it was Candy Box, had the thing where eventually, like, the game encouraged you to go into this source and, like, edit code to make your things go up faster? No. No. Okay. Hmm. It's all about when you use your powers and combine your powers with Ancients to get the right, to get the highest number. So there, there's no turning the left corner frog faction style. No, no, this is up front. It's a click of heroes. You click and you're a hero. How far did you get in Candy Box, Jackson? Did you play a lot of that? Uh, I played a little bit. But not to the point where you you need to no. break the code. I didn't get to the weird bits of it. I played too much cookie clicker. <laughs> I played the bad ones, the ones that are just attacking those the worst instincts okay. and not doing anything. Well... I think we've all learned something about well, just just me, really. I guess we've all learned something about me. You're just devoted. You're a devoted person. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. That's how I would explain it. I'm, so I'm a devoted person. You know, I'm devoted to nothing bullshit. <laughs> well, with that said, uh, we're gonna leave your terrible bullshit game behind and uh, go to a game that is full of deep portent. As we uh, begin our RPG adventure with the first disc of Final Fantasy VII. So for the main segment of this podcast, we're here to talk about Final Fantasy VII. Uh, this is the first in what we hope to do as a recurring set of RPGs that we all play. I am jokingly referring to it as the RPG Explorers Club. Everyone else seems to be willing to humor me. Uh, but this was started by Destiny, actually, who wanted to play Final Fantasy VII for uh, reasons? What were your reasons, Destiny? 
Well, main reason, have never played it. Two, I know it's considered a capital I important capital G game. And uh, as somebody who is interested in games, I figured I should, you know, give it a shot. And I knew that I could get both of you to play it with me. So having the camaraderie would make uh, me more likely to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, Final Fantasy VII, for anyone who doesn't know at this point, was a uh, game released in 1997 for the PlayStation, the original one. Um by Square, uh, at the time, just Square. No Enix, no Eidos, just Square. Um, directed by Yoshinori Kitase. I played it, I think, in probably November of that year, through to the summer of 2008, uh, or 1998. I spent that entire summer playing this game. Um, I've played it multiple times since then, but this is a, a big childhood game for me. So uh, before we get into it, I just wanted to say that revisiting this was uh, a Big nostalgia trip, more than any game we've played uh, for these podcasts so far. More than Link to the more Past. More than Link yeah, to the more Past. More than Link to the Past. Uh, in wow. that, my first, like, I played Link to the Past when I was eight, so my memories of my first time are very foggy. I very clearly remember mm-hmm. being, you know, 13 and playing this game. Um, I guess 12, actually. 12 and playing this game. Um, and being completely baffled by it, I had played, uh, Earthbound and Super Mario RPG at the time, and those are the perfect pr- preparation games. Yeah, but like Super Mario RPG, I didn't even know what an RPG was, and Earthbound, like I didn't make it through all of Earthbound when I played it as a kid. I just kind of futz with it and was baffled by it. So when Final Fantasy started, like wrapping my head around ideas like hit points and MP and stuff was still like a radical new thing to me. Uh, when I like, I just assumed the entire game took place in Midgar because why wouldn't it? Uh, just like the weird assumptions that you have when you're 12 and playing a game out of your depth for the first time. I kind of assumed that for like the first half an hour of this game. That it was all in Midgar? I was like, wait, is Midgar just massive and you just travel around Midgar going through all these state, uh, all these like, whatever they are, the refineries? Yeah, same no, here. The... Like, if that could be the structure of that yep. game. Yeah. Um, so Final Fantasy VII, I guess we'll kind of just run through our impressions as we go through disc one. Uh, we played up through disc one for this month, and next month we'll play the rest of the game, because I think that's a pretty good bifurcation point. And Advent Children. And Advent Children, right. We will talk about Advent Children next month, yes. I've, I'm, that's probably the part I'm the most excited <laughs> for, which is strange. Me too. <laughs> um, and uh, so Final Fantasy VII starts, and you are Cloud Strife, uh, ex-soldier. Soldiers are... This uh, military police force kept by the Shinra Electric Company, who are uh, bad guys for sure. Uh, they Oh, the man. Yeah, they are both a corporation and like the government at this point, uh, it seems mm-hmm. like. Uh, they run the city, everyone's oppressed, it's all a bummer. And you have been hired by an eco-terrorist organization known as Avalanche, uh, and one of your best friends is one of their like main members to our best childhood friends. Uh, and so she got the leader to hire you to help because you're the muscle. And uh, that's how it starts. You guys want to talk about the opening? I feel weird because this could just be me talking about Final Fantasy VII for an hour and I don't want to do that. Okay. What do I remember of the opening? 
I remember the opening being incredibly clunky and not pulling me in immediately. Like the opening twenty minutes of that game aren't very good. Um, I don't know. The dialogue is super. Just like here are you. It's like I'm Cloud. Didn't you used to be Soldier? Oh yes, we are in Avalanche because it's always capitalized <laughs> every single time. And it's the most. This is me. This is my role in the story. I'm going to exposit this boldly to you. And Cloud goes, Yeah, whatever. Um, and that's the first half an hour of the game. It's the going through the refinery, going through the, that stuff, blowing things up. It's not the game like starts, and the only the first like actual hook of the game is when you do that, and then go back to um, uh, sector seven and flash back to your childhood for like a second. I hundred percent disagree, and this is someone. This is admittedly nineteen ninety seven talking, but the opening with the city pullback and the train coming up and like the flashes as it edits to the train roaring into the station and you flipping that's off the, and that's my favorite part of that is the fact that it flashes to the wheels of the train yep. and it it is what like it was the most cinematic thing in 1997 you know like a way that people had not seen before and you you're instantly put into this weird it's not quite steampunk because it's too actually advanced and it's not it's not cyberpunk it's just this industrial like hellscape and you're running through it and it's moody in a way that prior final fantasies were never able to capture and it just becomes this really evocative thing you feel oppressed and it it's full of atmosphere like you're right about the clunkiness of the exposition but i think the game sets its tone really quickly as being this dramatic piece like it's not high fantasy adventure it's oh train roaring into the station we're fighting the government yeah, but aside from like the tonal, what it's doing, there's no hook to care about any of the characters. It's also broadly drawn from the start. I mean, the whole game uh, is bro- broadly drawn. I feel like no, but in a, in a, in a way that like, because Cloud sucks at the start. Like, I hated Cloud at the beginning. I was like, Cloud's the worst. It's fucking Cloud, because he's just super apathetic. Fuck everything. I'm out for me. Get get my own. Get some guy. Which maybe at the time. Especially for you, if you're 12, it's like, oh, this cloud's different. He's not like Mario. He's not just going to save the princess. He's out. For, he's complex and dark and brooding and whatever. But coming at it now, I was the most bored by that. Yeah. And it was only when you like realize what's going on with Cloud. Because over that, the three or four hour period of Midgar, like, which is essentially the arc of Cloud deciding that he actually does want to go on this quest... I had like gone on the same arc at the same time, mm-hmm. and like I started caring about the game at exactly the same rate. Cloud started caring about the characters. Sure, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, a large part of the man, even like the first half of this game, is Cloud slowly being like Cloud's bravado being subverted by both him and the people around him, mm-hmm. as he like. His I'm going to be a tough guy is poked full of holes and he just can't hold it up. It is clearly a falsehood. Uh, it's not who he actually is and what he's about. Yeah. And I think I think the game does that really well, actually. Um, okay, so we should talk a bit about presentation. Uh, you talked about the fact that the story is really clunky because it has a terrible translation. And it's we so need bad. to address this up front. Uh, this game was... Uh, an, you know, an early attempt for Square Enix to do English translation in-house. Uh, normally that stuff had been farmed out in prior Final Fantasies, and fi- prior Final Fantasies had way less story to deal with. Um, 
this game. Oh, did they? Yeah, this game's well, just I mean, it was a. They were on SNES carts. They were smaller games. Uh, people I thought didn't, four and six specifically. They were have a lot pretty... of story relative to games of their era, but they okay. weren't big multimedia discs where you go around and have like the forty-five minute calm exposition dump. Like nothing like that can't could even exist in a SNES cart. I because th- I assumed that, that was exact identical to stuff that came before because of how out of place it feels in like a three D environment. And how it just feels like we just did a design doc of a SNES game and transported it to this new it's, isometric engine. It's close engine. to 6, but I think 6 has a much sparser world and story because of what it is. Okay. Seven's bigger on all fronts. Uh, all right. And it's just a huge script, and they did it all in-house, and it, it shows. It's full of weird spelling errors and characterizations that feel off and just, like, mistranslations. Uh, the final boss is mistranslated in this game. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. Um, but it's also the first Final Fantasy to use pre-rendered 3D backgrounds. And I think those are the greatest thing they ever did to the RPGs. Because your characters are 3D models running through much more meticulously detailed environments than the character models could be rendered in. Uh, it's the same thing Resident Evil did. You have these, like... 100 polygon characters running through scenes that have been rendered in like a big workstation computer and put out as basically JPEGs that have like mapping for items and doors and stuff and you just run on top of them and I think that that is key to these games being the visual masterpieces of their time that they were Uh, because if you look at the characters they're I mean they're very simplistic and they're uh not very consistent, considering that there's three separate models for characters in that game. And it's a nightmare. Uh, I think it all turns out good, and we'll talk about that, but I love the pre-rendered backgrounds. I think they add so much character to the world. Just have, oh, here's, like, this person's uh, like trailer park house in the slum, and they have, like, flowers on the windowsill, and you'd never be able to render that if you were trying to render it in-game. Mm-hmm. And it also gives the game an like an aesthetic that one is hasn't been done before or since because of like the meshing of this really low poly um, like character models and this high detail JPEGs with backgrounds. But the art style of the backgrounds isn't just like anime world. Mm-hmm. Like everything looks real, but not in a strange way. It's almost cl- like uh, what you'd expect from like the art design of a claymation film or something. Mm. It makes sense. Uh, is, yeah, that's what I got from it. Uh, and uh, the way the rocket looks in Rocket Town is... you that, That's not what Final Fantasy looked like before or since. No, that's fair. Because before it was all steampunks and airships with, like, their sailing ships with propellers on them. And afterwards yeah. it just becomes... Cyber anime. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which I am partial to in my own way. Sure. I love me some cyber anime nonsense. Let's play 13. I'm already playing 13, Jax. I'm going to do it too. Next month. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think it looked great. Destiny hasn't been talking enough. Destiny, what's your initial things on this thing? Okay, my things on this thing. Yeah, put them out. <laughs> I don't even know out my things. where this has gone. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I feel like... Uh, the backgrounds super cool. Agreed with you about Cloud Jackson. 
Uh, didn't really get a sense of him until halfway through disc one. Took a really long time. Oh, I t- it took me till the end of Midgar. Hmm. Um, maybe it did. I don't know. I'm trying to remember the specific point, but really, uh, I now that you say that the translation is bad, it kind of makes sense to why uh, maybe I didn't glom onto the characters as quickly because a lot of their statements would they didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like once your party starts growing bigger and you're meeting more people. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that like I finished disc one, I feel like I've got this nice little family, and I'm you know actually having emotional reactions to everything. Just a bunch of people that you care a lot about, and then fucking Kate Sith. Ugh, gross. we'll get there. We'll get there. You guys are both jumping. <laughs> I'm jumping gun. the gun. Okay, sorry. Yes. I just wanted to just get that out of my system. So anyway, uh, do you jump want to touch brief- briefly on the Popeye sprites versus battle sprites? Yes, yes, and yes. Go ahead, Jackson. I don't like the the battle sprites. I really don't like the battle sprites. Really? I hate them. Why? I hate them. Because. The I just feel like in the the game style that it has, the abstract sprites are or the abstract the Popeye they're not sprites, sprites mo- yeah the models they're not sprites but you know yeah we'll just use sprites. All right, well the the abstract versions of them that you see most of the time uh, in the uh, like even in some pre-rendered cutscenes they use those models. Yes, that's true. I love that. Which I lo- I love the inconsistency in cutscenes because that would never happen. No, no. outside of. Even the PS1 era. It adds a yeah. lot of weird like, this charm. Is... Yeah, and I, I like it. And that's how I see the characters. I uh, imagine them like that in my head. The same way I would imagine like um, 16-bit characters in their sprite form. Uh, when it gets more detail, and they lose the abstraction. And like it, it, like it doesn't match up with what you assume they look like in your head. See, that's... It loses some of the essence of the this character. This is really interesting to me because I think the battle sprites are the closest they get to looking like the art in the uh, in the manual, which is not like it doesn't look like the modern versions of those characters. Uh, but like as someone who played this game when it came out, like this was still a time when you looked at the manual. The manual had full color pictures of every character. So in my mind, I see manual like everything is trying to be the manual art as most as it can. Hmm. And they fail really I, badly in the Popeye uh, models, but I mean they do have a lot of charm because they are really expressive. They are they are the closest to what like six sprites look like on the SNES. Like they're very mm. exaggerated. They can do very broad emotions, but not much else. But it, because of that, the pantomime brings a lot of emotion with it. Yeah, because like Cloud in the Popeye sprites looks like this kind of goofball running around doing a thing, which <laughs> is how I like to imagine Cloud. Me too. And then like they actually make him. In the battle sprites, proper soldier, sword, badass person. And that's not what Cloud is. <laughs> What's weird is... Like, that's... Oh. You go. Well, like, I have a co-worker, and I've been talking to him about sort of some of the gameplay that I've been going through. And every time we talk about it, he says to me, I wish they would remake that game, because I hate the way the, the sprites look. I hate the way that they, um, you know... Uh, don't look real. They don't fit the cutscenes. Like it really bothers him. Oh, Matt just sent some of the manual art. Yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what the game looks like. 
Specifically, some of them know, like, uh, Yiffy, that's exactly how I imagine Yiffy. That's Yiffy right there. Uh, this is great podcast. Barrett looks too angry. Barrett's a goofy character. <laughs> I mean, like, we can talk about Barrett because Barrett's a mess. Barrett's uh, complicated. Well, I don't know if he's complicated, but... Well, it's like... He... I think Barrett's complicated. I... The stuff that happens between him and what's his sure, face... Sure, but, like, Barrett as a character, it's like, what if we just... Like, we're J- Japan, we don't know what black people are, let's just make Mr. T a party member. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. He's, it, that's what complicates him. It's this country with no idea of blackness aside from pop culture putting in this character who doesn't really even fit in with the world. Uh, are there other black characters that we see? Mm, uh, I feel like it implies that Root is uh, not a white. Where do you get that? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He does apply that. He's lighter skinned than Barrett, but yes. It's it's also uh, Advent Children. Oh, Root is okay. clearly not white. Well, that doesn't help me because I don't have that context at yeah. <laughs> Um But, like, okay, within the game... It's sort of like, you know, he's the only black person I see, and I don't know, I, 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 there's a lot of, mm, sort of weird, it's racist in the sense of, oh, we know we're black people from pop culture, so we'll just make him like this, <sighs> uh, yeah. stuff, but it's also, I don't know, he's not a bad character, as far as, yeah. like, the way he's written in the game, and, like, I love his relationship with Marlene, I liked his sort of path to redemption, at least in the first disc. Um, all of that was really, like, it humanized him and made him less than a gross stereotype, and that, and I think that all is super complicated. Because it, it feels like the the character has started, at least, or started or layered on top of, I don't know which way around it is, but there's a gross stereotype in there of what they're trying to do. But it's he's also a character and has character traits and development and a story and different a- aspects to his personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because, like you said, I feel like it it comes from Japan not having like a sense of blackness as a thing outside of pop culture rather than going out of their way to make this gross uh, stereotype because he's not an empty character. Yeah, he's sure. he's got things going on. I wouldn't write him off. I feel like they're actually party members who are I mean for good reasons they're optional characters they are not as well written as Barrett and I wouldn't say he's the best written character in the game or anything but like compared to Yuffie I have way more of a sense of Barrett and it's not just oh he's Mr. T but in Midgar also I think Sid is way more gross than Barrett (laughs) in a lot of ways yes but I think the intentions with Barrett are a little more yucky than the intentions with Sid yeah, the attention with um, yeah, no, I agree. The attention with Sid are check out this cool guy. Look at how abusive he is to his wife. Oh, I, we can get to Sid later though. So uh, you start out in the slums. You're a member of Avalanche Eco Terrorist Group in a plot that you would never have today, where you are literally <laughs> successfully going and blowing up government installations. It's so cool. Can it I is just super throw cool. Throw that it's... out there. I think it's super I... cool. You should watch Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the nineties when you could do this and have interesting examinations of this stuff. <laughs> uh, you uh, 
you get separated from your group in the middle of a mission and you discover Eris, the flower girl, who lives in the slums and uh, is... No, she doesn't. She lives next to the slums in a massive house. (laughs) (laughs) She uh, Check out my garden and my massive mansion. Anyway, here's the slums. set up as the love interest slash girl to protect slash figure to put on a pedestal in that she is pure and uh, nebulously magical in a way that is supposed to make any teenager swoon. Uh, and it's a real shame that something bad happens at the end. I and she throws in with Cloud uh, because Cloud reminds her of one of her old boyfriends who was in Soldier. I'll remember that for next month. Her um, characterization I find more problematic than Barrett's. You want to talk about it? Well, just... Everything you listed, she's the sure. She's on yeah. a pedestal. She's to be protected. She's the love interest. She's kind of a little sister type. If like I was sort of in my brain shipping Cloud and Tifa, and mm-hmm. uh, do you want to talk about Cloud Tifa now or Tifa Eris now? Since I think we can, we I think we could. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what we're doing. Okay, but finish this line of thought first. <laughs> well, and yeah, she's that's like all she has going on and then making her like giving her all these attributes of just like this magical being it doesn't help that you know those tropes about uh sort of magic-y women character in games are so huge like and overdone so she just seems like Mm -hmm. another one of those Okay. And also, her entire purpose and innocence and everything is used as a metaphor when she has died. De- That's like her true. Her purpose is a plot device to be killed to represent loss of innocence. Sure. It's very true. Like, that's what she is in that mm-hmm. game. And it worked, clearly, because fucking 15 years later or 20 years later, everyone's still like, oh no! <laughs> Use the phoenix down! Uh... <laughs> So yeah, the game clearly sets up Eris as your presumptive love interest, but Tifa's always there in the wings as the girl you grew up with. It sets up Tifa as your love interest first. True. I Cloud clearly is not into Tifa though. Yeah, but you are into Tifa as a play. Like your sympathies, because you're spend that entire first section being like, "Fucking hell, Cloud! I'm here to play this game, and you're not." <laughs> and then you flash back to that conversation between Cloud and Tifa, and Tifa is relatable and has all these desires and wants, and just like, oh, "Cloud, I want this." I says, "I'm a kid, and this is what I want. I want to feel this." Mm-hmm. And Cloud's like, mm-hmm, "I'm off to fight and be a soldier." And so you. Uh, aligned with Tifa from the start and actually have more sympathy for than her than Cloud uh, until Cloud, you know, comes over mm-hmm. when uh, m- m- the stuff in Midgar gets real. I uh, I think the main difference is, like, Eris is a character who's presented as, I sell flowers, I need a protector, you remind me of my old boyfriend. And she is, like, this, like, uh, almost deified figure in, like, the mythology. And Tifa's, like the trustworthy constant friend who you have memories of but she also holds you accountable for like you made yeah. a promise for when you were kids and now as an adult she's calling that in like she she's wants you to be the person that you said you were going to be and i mm-hmm. like that she i think especially as the game goes on and it starts acknowledging that tifa is the representation of like a mature relationship that you will have with people oh totally yeah because yeah the stuff of how it uses uh, 
who Cloud's going to hook up with to tell a story is pretty silly half the time. Because yep. there's that conversation where Cloud's mum is all like, you should have a girlfriend who's like me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty amazing. I loved that. That made me laugh so hard. <laughs> like, wow. Hilarious. I know moms like that. I'm not even going to front. <laughs> so, uh, Eris isn't all uh, innocence and niceness because quickly you end up, as you're trying to get back to your party, in the wall market. And the only way, your only clue is that you saw Tifa going into this mansion run by a local gangster slash pimp slash who knows. Human trafficker at the very least, Don Corneo. And the only way to get in is Eris has to guide you through dressing up like a woman in what I assume is a hilariously Japanese-centric Cloud needs to go cross-dress minigame set of adventures. And... This is the part where the most bizarre, weird, I think appalling and awful, but just, what? Mm-hmm. A part of the game occurs. There's so much in... that is clearly, like, culturally just not a thing in America happening here. Also. Are you but talking you, about homophobia? Because that's totally American. No, no, no. I mean, like, the way <laughs> yeah. it expresses, like, it's, like, what masculinity is and, like, what gayness is, is the, in the most Japanese way. I can see South Park doing an episode where the the mishap that happens to Cloud in the what, yeah, but like the you go and you have to do like squats to get a wig because all of the yeah. macho guys are also cross dressers and and like that's a stereotype that mm-hmm. is specifically oh yeah, it's totally uh, a very culturally specific thing. But I think the general areas of shittiness and the way mm-hmm. it becomes like really gross are general Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fair enough yeah uh as this pertains to eris one of i think the best little character bits is while you go into the honeybee inn which is like the brothel eris basically lines up all these guys outside by promising them dates and making them like hustling them for flowers if you talk to them afterwards everyone's like oh i've got this one for like 500 gil and it's like i got this one for a thousand gil and like the one nice guy shuffling around he's like oh she gave me this for free and you know what she's doing like she's a person who lives in this area that's dangerous and like run down oh yeah she's clearly more complicated than the game actually presents her as through cloud's perceptions Mm -hmm. and i thought that was a great character bit uh and like when her and tifa like first interact and they're both talking about cloud while he's standing right there like, that's stuff that I wish came up again, because I think it's really good for both those characters. I agree. Yeah. Because the problem is you never get much... Like, apart from those moments, you never get much of a sense of what it's like in Eris's head. Because mm-hmm. the moments like that, and like when she talks to Tifa about Cloud, you know that Eris knows how she is seen, mm-hmm. and like uses that role to her own advantage at points. And that makes her interesting and complicated and like a character. Mm-hmm rather than just an object and plot device to be murdered. Yeah, That's true. So, uh, everyone gathers together slowly over the course of your Midgard ventures, and you end up uh, having to assault the Shinra building, because Eris gets captured by Shinra. Because of course she does. Eris gets kidnapped about five times on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is uh, damseled constantly. Um, and you, ru- you rush in to save her, you assault this big tower... Um, I think it, in terms of world building, it's really interesting to just stop and like talk to the guy in the gym or the guy who's in like the, the sauna just sitting there chilling out. 
One of my favorite moments in that was running up the stairs. Okay, oh, you guys both took the Ghostbusters route. Yes, I love yeah. that. That was so funny. It took forever, but it was totally <laughs> worth it for all the like weird nagging and conversational tidbits you picked up. Because mm-hmm. what happens before that is uh, the you know you're set up. They destroy a whole sector. Like Shimra takes out Sector Seven. Mm-hmm. And um, the some of your allies from the start of the game die. Yes, uh, who you've been the most apathetic towards till this point, and the and the moment they die is when Cloud stops being like fuck all this and actually like admits that you know you see that his bravado break and he cares for these people and doesn't want to allow you know this to happen. Mm. Uh, so then, when you're running up the stairs, uh, that's the first moment that you're. Um, step back and just talk to the people around you. It's that and the playground. Yeah. Because uh, what Final Fantasy VII does really well that I wasn't expecting is it's actually focuses way more on the small moments after or, or between the big set pieces rather than the big pe- set pieces themselves. It is, concerns itself with emotional consequence uh, and how Marlene affects Barrett and how Cloud affects Tifa and everything. All those all the characters' mental states, uh, it always checks in after the big thing happens and never just allows the set piece to be the single selling point, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you assault Shinra Tower as we get back to our walking through things. You collect another in your rolling ball of party members in Red 13, who is basically an experiment uh, that the mad scientist of Shinra Hojo has captured and is introduced as a character he wants to force breed with Eris to create new ancients. So creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll come up especially later in disc two, but Hojo's really bad at science. <laughs> <laughs> His vision of science is just to kind of like experiment and create monsters until hopefully he makes something successful. Isn't everyone moaning that Hojo's taken over from someone? Yes, Amazing. there was Dr. Gast yeah. and Dr. Gast did all this research uh, we'll get to Dr. Gast, uh, about the ancients and about Mako, but then he died, and then Hojo took everything over, and Hojo's just a crazy person. What if we put a dog and an ancient mythical lady and so, yeah. make a creature? But the idea is that the Red 13 is supposedly, and we find out that that's accurate, a creature who has a lot of ties to, like, the earth and the life stream and things like that. Um, and so I guess it made sense in Hoder's mind. If you mix an ancient with another like mystical earth creature, you'll get something that has a full amount of understanding of the ways of the life stream. Because, I mean, we'll get to that, but they talk about how the Mako energy that everyone's reliant upon is tapping into the very like blood of the earth, which is the life stream. Yeah. But Red 13 actually turns out to be uh, like a wolf creature who can talk and is intelligent and wants to join you because he doesn't want to be... Uh, uh, an experiment forever. But it doesn't matter because you get captured and thrown in jail anyway. That's another great little <laughs> You totally bit. do. Yep. As you get uh, accosted by the Turks in the elevator as you go to confront the president. Oh, you captured too? Oh, <laughs> Yep. Uh, the thing I like about that is it's very clear that Shinra has forces that you are not actually capable of beating. Like, when you're actually yeah. confronted in the elevator like that, you're not even, you don't even try to fight back because you know you can't. Yeah. Like, the way it emphasizes you are this tiny, useless re- rebel organization. Mm-hmm. 
Like, you are just a bunch of kids. Yep. yep. Uh, and so your freedom comes through no action of your own as a catastrophe happens in the lab and the experiment Hojo is really working on, this weird thing called Genova, has been stolen and everyone massacred, which, like, that chaos is what caused your cells to be opened. Following the blood trail upstairs. Yep. That was upsetting. And you find, you find oh. a blood trail coming out of Genova's uh, cell all the way upstairs to where the president's quarters are. And you follow it to find the president murdered and a giant sword in his back. And Cloud's like, oh, I know who did that. It must have been Sephiroth. Dun, dun, dun. He doesn't say that. He says Sephiroth dot 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 about a thousand times. <laughs> and everyone else is like, who's Sephiroth? And Cloud doesn't answer them because Cloud's taciturn. Uh, <laughs> and they are interrupted by the new president, uh, Shinra Rufus, uh, who shows up and in one of my favorite exchanges, like asks who the hell you are, this ragtag group standing there and everyone identifies <laughs> yeah. himself. He's like, I'm ex soldier. And Tifa's like, I'm a bartender. And Barrett's like, I'm an avalanche. Eric says, I'm a flower girl. And he's like, you guys are all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great, cause it's the big, cause it's the moment that Cloud actually is like, I'm fighting for something now. Like that, the Midgar stuff forms its own act in Cloud's arc, and that's like, I'm doing it, big anime speech power friendship, and then Rufus like, who the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So you fight Rufus and uh, and escape. You don't beat him; he's still around. Uh, I mean, you do like successfully complete the fight, but you basically are just delaying to run away, and you escape Midgar with Shinra hot on your heels. In maybe the best cutscene of all time. Oh, the one with uh, the bike and the truck and everything? Oh. The, the bike and the strangest car ever created. <laughs> yep. It's a real truck. It, I don't believe you, but... It's totally a real truck. Sure. It's really cool. It's so good. It is cool. And uh, a dumb minigame uh, where you have to fight off guards who are insulting this truck. Oh. I'm so bad at it. I was really good Let's, at it in We'll Bayonetta. talk about minigames here. Why not? Okay. Uh, one of the strange things about Final Fantasy 7 that it introduced because it's a 3D game I feel like because the prior Final Fantasy didn't have it is they interspersed the game with a lot of one-off mini games that are just built around here's some strange mechanics that we decided to experiment with and then throw it into a sequence in the game now we needed this thing to happen that wasn't a battle Yep. Yeah. how do we convey that it's good and it's through chocobo racing or snowboarding or resuscitating someone who's drowned or like a thousand other tiny one-off things opening a safe in 20 seconds (laughs) and they're all really clunky but i think that their inclusion adds a lot of character to the world that if you were just pressing a button to go or do a thing or if it was just a cutscene, wouldn't it wouldn't be as good it breaks up the jrpg cycle of dungeon dungeon world travel cutscene really well even mm-hmm. when it's frustrating and difficult and hard to follow and even your guide isn't helping you follow it um but <laughs> so on one level i appreciated it and i think it's comp- like i've never played anything quite like that uh but at the same time the bits where you kind of have to i don't know if this would be a mini game but like the bits where you're like jumping pretty much platformer type yeah moments. That's a, that stuff totally counts as a mini game to me those are frustrating and horrible 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, m- almost all of them are bad. Even more so than me grumbling about the 22nd safe opening. Like, eventually I got it done. But the platforming took... I, I think I have more hours on this game mm-hmm. than both of you just because I had so much trouble with the that. Like, like the wall market where you have to jump on that swinging pipe that when you're climbing me, the giant wall. Took me forever. Or the stuff, oh, or the stuff where there's the rolling, forever. the stuff where there's the rolling rocks in the Temple of the Ancients. Yes. Like all those weird platforming sequences. Maybe you should jump soon, but not too soon anyway. Yeah, I mean, I figured it out, but it just, that was the stuff that would take me the longest aside from like getting lost on the world map. <laughs> uh, uh, but other than, like, I liked, um, you know, the the wall market, looking for the dress, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The chocobo racing, I could do that all day. That was a lot of fun. Did you guys like that? I've done ah. so much chocobo racing in my life, never again. <laughs> I enjoy I'm it. I'm kind of anti it. I lost the first one, and then I looked in the guidance, like, oh, you press this button to just get infinitely boost. Yeah, I lost, okay. I lost the first one, too. <laughs> Um, I didn't... They put a button in there to give you infinite boost. It is badly designed. No, it's badly designed, but it's weirdly relaxing, and I think Chocobos are really cute. So maybe it's just me. Um, Chocobos are they cute. Are cutest. I did not like any of the Gold Saucer games. I don't think I played any of them except Chocobo Racing and the Battle Two of them are not unlocked yet, so... Oh, well, I tried to play a few and was just... Because there are two really big ones that... The game does not let you engage with yet. Okay. Um, because there, How often do you go- there are riffs on things that will happen in the story. Well, I did the... <clears throat> oh, okay. Um, you do the truck race thing with the bikes again, or the bike yep. race. You do that again, and I never really got the hang of that the first time around when you do it as clouds. So doing it in the minigame, uh, fruitless results. Um, mm-hmm. And I, when I first got there, I thought it'd be fun to like earn... What is it called? GP? Yes. Um, in prior games, Final Fantasy games, there wasn't Gil. It was just called GP that you earned as money. Mm. And they've since changed all their nomenclature to Gil, but they kept GP as the currency of Gold Saucer, which I thought was a nice touch. Okay. Yeah, that is cool. The only thing I liked was the game. There's like a game where you can play it just to win uh, GP from a guy that's watching you play the game. Yeah, the Mog game. Yeah, I thought that was really cute, even though it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I just like mm-hmm. the way Mogs look. Back to the plot. Uh, you're, you find yourself at the edge of Midgar, and everyone climbs down from the city, and we're like, well, I guess we'll split up and hit to the next town. And suddenly it becomes a traditional JRPG with a world map and vaguely, like, fantasy uh, cities as you travel to the next village, which is just a sleepy hamlet with, like, tiled roofs and, like, a clock tower and stuff. <laughs> It's a really strange moment because that world of Midgar has been so oppressive and the way um, Shinra have been controlling everything has made you feel like, wait, is there just no way out of the city? Is this dark city? I don't know. Is this just the world? The world is always going to be this mechanical nightmare? Yeah. 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 
Because they're talking about how the planet's being stripped dry of its resources, and then you leave Midgar, and you're like, no, it's not. That city is about as big as my hand, and I have to run through seven miles of forest to get to a tiny village. <laughs> There's a lot here. Oh, yeah. But, like, you see the blight outside of Midgar, like, there, there's no grass there. And oh, as yeah, you go no, through Disco and you come ruin. across city after city that has just been devastated by Shinra. Yeah. Um, but you go to the first town that has not, which is Calm. And here's where we get our big exposition dump. Sephiroth's first word in the game is hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone hangs heads to the inn where Cloud finally explains what the deal is with Sephiroth. And he talks about an adventure he went on in Nibelheim after he left Nibelheim, but was returning on like a mission with Soldier. And we're going to cover this because it's really important to the plot. Uh, but basically he was uh, pals with Sephiroth on this mission and you returned home. And you were investigating, like, a malfunctioning reactor, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, you go up into the mountains, and what you find is actually that the reactor houses, like, experimental monsters. And yes. this uh, being called Genova, that Sephiroth has already told you, and you're, like, palling around trying to get to know each other, that his mother was named Genova. And mm-hmm. uh, Sephiroth's like, what could this possibly be? And locks himself in the local Shinra haunted mansion. <laughs> uh for seemingly like months on end for in this like montage of him just reading every book in this library. It's it's such a ridiculous montage. But it's it's amazing. I feel like it's super evocative. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually Cloud gets fed up of waiting and goes in to investigate and uh gets the truth from Sephiroth about what Genova is, right? Yeah. I wanna say about this um area that as a flashback is very effective of uh establishing Sephiroth as a villain mm. in two ways like first off he's he, like yeah his motivation and his like core reason for doing what he's doing is actually really understandable yeah like uh-huh. it makes a lot of sense like not a, a good condonable thing exactly but it's like no this guy has been fucked over and he's in a mess and he just he just wants his mom like because I had been like from everything around Final Fantasy 7 and all the things I'd heard about Sephiroth Sephiroth's a cool villain and like I think he's a great character he is the least with it villain yeah um so what they present is like you and Sephiroth are kind of buddy buddy on this mission but he is clearly way more powerful than you and the way the game describes that is Sephiroth's mm -hmm, level 50 mm -hmm. and you're level 1 and he has all the magics (laughs) is really good so you get why people speak about Sephiroth in like revered tones because the mechanics backed it up the one time you were with him yeah that's what I was going to say yeah that mechanical way of establishing Sephiroth as better than everything so good what he discovered in all his like months of reading is that his mother was Genova, but Genova was this. Uh, they do they, do they how do they describe Genova? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. remember either. Okay, because I guess we'll just I'll just talk about what I know, but I don't remember if they reveal it in disc one or if it's a disc two early disc two thing. Uh, Professor Gast discovered Genova in the ice, and. This wasn't disc one. Okay. And thought that it was a ancient, like a Cetra, like mm, Eris. Yes. And decided that the way to like find more life stream was to clone, like use the DNA to create a baby. And that baby was Sephiroth. The problem is Genova wasn't an ancient. Genova was actually an alien that fell from the skies thousands of years ago. Okay. Yeah. That we don't okay. know. Okay. Genova is the calamity of the skies <laughs> that they talked about. You, you'll, we'll find this out in like the first hour of Final Fantasy 7 Disc 2. Okay. Cool. 
And that, like, that's the thing that Sephiroth found that, like, drove him mad. That not only is he, like, a weird clone baby, but he's also not human. Oh, snap. And so Sephiroth freaks out and torches the entire town and uh, goes up to try to liberate Genova from the uh, cage that she's being kept in and uh, stabs Tifa, because Tifa was your guide and she's wearing a cute cowboy outfit. <laughs> and uh, and uh, stabs Cloud and then the uh, memory ends with Cloud deciding that he was going to combat Sephiroth. And then, we, like, it's them having this weird standoff, and Cloud rushes him, and then they're like, what happened? He's like, I don't remember. <laughs> and so you never find out what happened in this confrontation between Cloud and Sephiroth. Yet, anyway. Okay, good, because... Nope, leave us hanging. In. If you talk to Tifa at this point, she seems really uh, perturbed about the whole story, but she keeps her silence, and that's important, the too. way the way they come back to it in When You Visit Nibelheim... Right, they don't explicitly reference that stuff, but the stuff in Nibelheim that contradicts that is fantastic, and I really want to There's also a lot of stuff in Disc 2 that contradicts a lot of stuff both in Nibelheim and in this story we're hearing in Disc 1. I'm just to, like assuming that Cloud isn't telling the truth when he says he doesn't remember. And I know more than you, because I know some of the pieces that play mm-hmm. into this. Okay, that's so true. Yeah, so quiet. we can't talk about it, but yep. this is exciting. I don't want to you talk, talk about it, I'm just not going to... You talk about it, I'm just not going to say <laughs> No, I don't really have anything else to say. I just, uh, Tifa's reaction just kind of led me to believe, well, I think he remembers and he's just not sharing it with us because he's got something to hide and his actions later in that section of the game sort of leave, like, lead me to believe that's true. He's He's got something going on and there's all these, I don't even know if they're... They're, they're not quite flashbacks. The situation with his mother. Cloud has a lot of freak out moments. Yes. As you go through the game. And he says he doesn't understand them, but on some level, I think he does. And and then, like, towards the end, he starts being controlled by Sephiroth. Yeah. Yep. And there's a character, I think it's Barrett, that starts lecturing him about how he doesn't know himself. And he's like, well, you need to get to learning yourself because this is crazy. And we have to get to the bottom yeah, of this. Because right before the end, the hit cloud goes, I I could kill you all at any moment. Probably. Yeah, it's like, I don't trust myself. Because I've... Yeah, I, I don't know what I'm going to do for a second second, uh, but I need you with me on this. So I need to tell you up front, that could happen. Also, please come Yeah, and me. I don't remember anything. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's a cloud's kind of this... Like... It's... <sighs> It's pretty obvious why they called him. Cloud. Yeah, okay. yeah. There we go. So, uh, in the in interest of brevity, most of the rest of the disc is you chasing after Sephiroth, as you. I heard Sephiroth over here. Da, 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 da. Oh, I was gone. Oh, no. that uh, was a, yeah, okay. Uh, but at the same time, Shinra is also chasing Sephiroth, da, 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 da. and you're kind of just piggybacking on Shinra's transportation to get across the world. <laughs> it's pretty great. Three way chase. Yep, it's really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And along the way, you, Sephiroth's gone to Cuba. <laughs> along the way, you pick up Yuffie, uh, who is a ninja thief, uh, and she is an optional character. But I love Yuffie, so why do you love her so much? I like in 
this kind of sets the precedent of all of the Final Fantasies after this have basically the Genki Girl archetype, who is like really energetic and uh, goofy and silly, and uh, usually in stark contrast to every other character who is serious business all the time. And the best version of this is Riku, because Riku's the best. But uh, Yuffie is definitely of that type. And she's not given a ton here, but knowing what this archetype is and knowing that I like it, like I just naturally am drawn to her as like the silly girl ninja in this world of various serious people. Okay. It 90% comes from her like character art. Yeah. She's like, yeah! Yeah. Oh, Wu-Tai. And she's like, I'm Yuffie, nice to meet you. And then she like, if you try to rename her when she joins your party, like she'll steal your your gill and run away. (laughs) Wait, can you not rename her? Uh, you, okay, so when you get Yuffie, like you fight her. I know that there's a question at the end you can ask either what's your name Yeah, if you ask what's your name, you get the renaming screen. But the trick with Yuffie is if you take your eyes off her for a second, she'll steal your money and run away. So if you get to the renaming screen there... When you go back, she'll just be gone and you'll not yeah. have any money. I accidentally tried to save uh, the first time I encountered her because I was like, well, I want to save this moment just in case I answer the questions wrong and lost her. So you have, yeah, you have to act not interested and then she'll tell you her name as you're walking away from her. And that's when you get to rename her. <laughs> yeah, the way you get Yuffie is to go, oh, I don't care. <laughs> and she's so that's offended at the idea you couldn't care that she has to tell you. It's fine. I'm coming with you. And I will, yeah. Why don't you, Yuffie? What it's up? pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, and then that's the, all her lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and you go and you pick up Kate Sith, who is a no, you don't. Kate Sith, he just Kate Sith insists on joining your party. Yeah, he, he insists upon himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like the Godfather. And Kate Sith <laughs> is this uh, little black cat riding on a robotic Moogle, and he's the fortune teller in the Gold Saucer. But along the way, you get the story beats for Barrett. Uh, you guys want to talk about that? Because you seem more invested in Barrett than I ever was. Well, he... I just really liked the way it handled Dine. Was that what his name is? Dine? Yeah. Dine. Yeah, I really liked the stuff of Dine. And how empathetic it was towards Dine, mm. who is someone who's been killing a bunch of folk for, like, no reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, how that um, links with how they do Sephiroth's backstory. And, like, because many games when they have their big villains they're just you have to kill them and they are bad or they're someone who you thought was good and then they were bad oh no but this game's approach to villains really like ex- everyone except and I bet it does this a little bit in like this everyone except like you know Shinra and just like the things it says are actually bad are you know the powers that be the people in charge making bad corporate decisions mm. and the individuals who are technically evil are victims of that system in their own way mm-hmm. and just reacting to it badly and that's what Dine was and that's what Sephiroth is it also very clearly casts Barrett as like Barrett and Dine are literally mirror images of each other they have both yes. same weapons, gun arms yeah. and one of the big themes and we'll cover it a lot in this too probably of Final Fantasy 7 is identity and so much of what makes Barrett Barrett and what makes Dine Dine is how who they how they define their identity through the tragedy that happened to both of them like, yeah. Barrett said, I'm going to become a survivor, and I'm going to get past this and be tough and, like, fight back against the man who tore, like, everything I knew and loved apart. And Dine decided to wallow in the idea of his loss in this past, and uh, it ended up being that he turned psychotic. Like, when he finds out Marlene's alive, his, uh, his he doesn't respond happily. He's like, oh, well, I should kill her so she can be back with her mother yeah, and not have to live in this that world. That shocked me. 
Well, her two his his two options were either I have to kill her so I remain consistent, or I kill myself because I have to admit what I've just been doing. Yeah. It's really screwed and, up. And yeah, I, I really like Barrett. Oh. No, I I completely agree. I feel like through Barrett, you really get how tragic the Shinra situation is. Mm-hmm. Like you, he brings all of that home in this yep. very, very clear way, and that's the yeah, other reason go, I really like that character. You go through North Corral, which is a town that was it's like a mining town that has just been devastated by Shinra. That's the town and, where you walk in and people are at graves, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm. No, it's it's the town with all the train tracks. Okay. Yes. 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 Because that's where him and Barrett come from. Okay, yeah. Sorry. And they had, like, it was a coal town, and then they built that reactor there, and then everyone's suddenly living in tents because they don't have homes anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right after that, you go to Gungaga, and that's with all the graves, because there was a Mako reactor there, and it exploded, and everyone's dead. Yeah, that basically. was mm-hmm. upsetting. Like, you just, yeah. you go from town after town that's just been totally wiped out. Whether, like, Shinra is successful or not in making a Mako reactor, everyone dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go to Cosmo Canyon and you get Red 13's backstory in kind of my favorite part of this game, even though it's so it, basically his, the, the whole, the whole theme of Cosmo Canyon is fake Native Americans. Which is, yes. Which is apparently your thing. I guess huh? it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's very upsetting. Yeah, but even the music, I was like rolling my eyes, but. Yeah, I got there and I was like, oh. Yeah, but. It's really pretty music, though. It's pretty music. Um, what's the name of his uh, grandfather? Bugenhagen. Yeah, that character. His speech, best thing that I feel. That's yeah. my favorite part. So you of meet Bugenhagen, who explains the life stream to you. Hundreds of and years old. Yeah, he. The idea is that people die and like things die, and all their energy returns to the planet, and the planet births new things, just like a karmic cycle. But the problem is, Shinra's Mako reactors tap into that energy and just expend it. And it'll eventually destroy all of the energy in the planet. And when that happens, everything dies. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. And he's totally kind of at peace with that in a strange yeah. way. Yeah. Like he's like, yeah, you're probably going to die in about, I don't know, give us 30 it's years. Mm-hmm. Kids. Anyway, nothing we can his, do. Well, his idea is that this is the just vengeance for what we've done to the planet. Like, this is what we deserve. Which he's kind of right. I don't know. I disagree. In the, se- in the same way Sephiroth's right. Sure. It's a very nihilistic way of looking at things, but yes. Like, they fucked up the planet, so I guess if they fucked up the planet, that's what happens yeah, when you fuck up the planet. The planet fucks you up back. <laughs> uh. And uh, you get uh, Red Thirteen's backstory. Red Thirteen is part of a long-lived race of... They don't say what they are, but his real name is Nanaki. Um... The joke always was, people who played it, if you played it for the second time, you name him Nanaki from the beginning, and then you get the great line, what, Nanaki's name is Nanaki? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's Mo Brooks right there. Uh, I almost named him his real name, because I knew that at some point his name was going to be revealed, and I wanted, once I knew that, it to switch to being Nanaki. Because the biggest issue is that he'd just be then called Red 13 for the rest of the That bothered me too. He says he doesn't care what you call him, is the thing. Yeah, but they should give you the chance to change it back. I I mean, I don't disagree. And also, his name, Red 13, the fact that it gives you that as his default name, when it's the name given to him by someone he hates, you hate, uh, and it's the mark of this shitty system he was kept in, Mm -hmm. I think that the fact that that's just his name 
it's really thematically at odds with everything else about the game. Mm. I agree. Oh, and it, it makes it, sense that that's what he would let you call him before Cosmo Canyon. I I agree yeah. that you're right that afterwards he because he like his whole story is that he thinks that he like came from this disgraced father who betrayed his people at this time where they needed him the most because they were being attacked by these forces of evil. And you go through the uh, ghost dungeon of the game basically. And you fight a giant monster that you can kill with an X potion because it's a Final Fantasy game, and that's in. I killed it with I killed it with one Phoenix down. Uh, the Phoenix down only works twenty five percent of the time. Nice. Um, well, twenty five percent of the time it worked every time, and <laughs> the X potion will work every time. But yeah, yes. I use the X potion. You find one conveniently in the dungeon to throw at him. Right, that before. was nice. I already had one dragon, but uh, it was nice. Nice to get. Nice to have an additional one. Uh, but then you get the scene, which I think is maybe the most emotional scene in the entire game, really. Yes. Uh, of the reveal that his father actually did defend them and died for it and was turned to stone and he, his last, like, he didn't want anybody to know. Not even his own son. Yep. And then he cries. Then well, the stone no, statue then cries. Red Thirteen howls, and the stone statue cries, and, and it's beautiful. His tears oh. fall onto his son, and you get like the cool, like sad rendition of the Cosmo Canyon music. It's great. So it's good. so great. Oh, best. I don't think that's the most emotional scene on the disc, but sure, I I love it. It made it I think moved it's me a lot, and I've played this game like six times, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Trying to think of other bits. Like, there's that bit. There's the dying bit. There's Sephiroth's reveal. Mm-hmm. Those are the three, I think. Oh, okay. see, I well, can we? Are we? Well, let's keep we'll going to the there. plot. We'll get there, and I'll talk about it. Yep. And uh, you head to Nibelheim, which, uh, despite everyone's memory, is not burned down. Creepy. Yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> It was. Oh, I loved it. That loved was it so some much. stuff right there. And as you talk to everyone, they insist. We need that, to go back, Cloud. They insist that nothing has ever happened. But th- and then they look at all these guys with tattoos, and they're like, "Tell me what the numbers mean." <laughs> anyway, uh, and there are a bunch of black robe figure- figures with tattoos around. And you, as you go around, you're starting to see them more and more because I think one shows up. Uh, I think there's even one in Midgar if you look for them. Ooh, I don't remember that. Uh, but they start showing up in like the golden saucer and stuff. They just start littering the world. Um, yeah, and they'll come to bear again. Also, you know what that reminds I bet, me. Of, oh, I can't wait till that gets paid off. It reminds what? me of oh goodness at the uh, near the like middle of Persona Three when the town is slowly becoming convinced that you know they're all sick and like people start yes. converting and getting evangelical about the end of the world. That's what that reminded me of. Yep. Oh, I love when that happens. That's a very it's anime so thing. It's so creepy, though. <laughs> oh, it cre- but the, the the oh the bad things are happening. So uh, the uh, the world might be ending. Let's make that a core cool part of our yeah. Beliefs. And mm-hmm. like the, the people that you see around town who are usually just saying these like NPC wrote lines are saying really creepy things. It's so I love that. It never gets old. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, if you do some investigating. I don't remember. Do you find out what's going on? Like, why Nibelheim is there? Mm-mm. No. No. Okay. No. I feel like you did there, but I guess not. I do no, not recall. No, that's because I was expecting you that. Get and there was no punchline Cloud there Cloud telling the, the... Like, doesn't he tell the story? And, like... I will I will point out that both Tifa and him expected to be burnt down. Yeah. yeah. So Nibelheim burnt, actually burnt down in both their memories. So it's not like Cloud is lying about that. Okay. 
No, I know. Like, because I, I remember there was Tifa and Crab both say, "Wait, this is here." Okay, and he goes to. It's not a. It's 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 it, not a big mystery. Why Nibelheim? It's a big mystery there. to me. I'm pretty. What the fuck's going on about it? I don't. I, I like don't. The I the feel game like it paid off there if you talk to enough people. No. Hmm. I, they because all they say is how dare you? Yeah, everybody's in denial. They, They're like, "What are you talking about? You're a liar." And, but beyond, you're weird. Like they're angry at you, mm-hmm. and then there's the weird people in their house. That game is actively trying to be incredibly spooky about how. Um, okay. Never then I will. Back. I will I be mum about it, but. It's, yeah, it's not a huge plot point, to be fair. Yeah, it's still interesting. Aww. I like the mystery of it, and I think it's interesting that you were like, no, it's not a mystery. <laughs> uh, and you go into the Shinra Mansion, and uh, you can not only pick up your extra other secret character here, uh, but you go into the library where Sephiroth read all his books, and Sephiroth's there. Hi, Cloud. Just hanging out. He throws a materia at you, because that's cool, I guess. It's a really... That, that made me laugh out loud. It's such a good and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so goofy. And talks about how he has planned... <laughs> he has... Does this... Is this where he talks about getting the black materia? Uh, for the I first time? I think so. I think that's a little... Oh, okay, I don't remember. But his goal is he wants to do something called reunion. Yes. I know this is yes. where he first yes, talks about Yes, we hear about reunion. Promised yes. land. Uh, which is about finding the promised land, which... Uh, you've already found out about the Promised Land by now, right? They're talking about the Promised Land in Midgar. Okay, the Promised Land. Because you know that's what Shinra, Shinra wants. wants it because it's a giant source of Mako. Eris knows that it's like the Setra Holy Land, eh, so she doesn't want them to find it, and you don't want them to find it because that sounds. Bad. I assumed from the start of the game, oh, the Promised Land, they, they return to the live stream. Yeah, because I've played and a game hey, by now. You I know, know enough to know means. that's the source of live stream. So if you go there, that would be really bad. Like, live stream as a concept hadn't been revealed in this game, but I was like, oh, you just mean they return to nature or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's where this goes. Yes. You're in an industrial city. But the Promised Land <laughs> is a point where that happens more intensely than it does all over the planet. Yeah. So Shinro, like, tapping that or Sephiroth going there and doing whatever black magics he has planned would be bad. I assume so. And, but uh, you here you get Vincent, which you can unlock by a dumb side quest. Uh... And he doesn't even want to join your party because he's just a vampire sleeping in a coffin. <laughs> Go away, Mom. Uh, until he, he perks up when you mention that you're going after Sephiroth. Cut my life into pieces. <laughs> and, uh, and then he'll join you and he'll be like, well, I guess if you're going, I have to atone. I will join you. And he joins your party. He is the cool character. They made a game after him. The, I don't know. The Dirge of Cerberus. Yes. Really? The dirt. Yeah, it's a PlayStation <laughs> 2 like third person shooter. Oh my god, I didn't know that. He is he is dirt. the quote unquote cool character that all the goth teenage kids really love. I get that. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> 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 I get that, but he's he's just so minor here that I'm surprised. That's all. He has he, he has a backstory, he but it's all optional on its way later. So. Oh, okay, I'm gonna have to play that. I'm curious. And then because it's, it's pretty clear that all this stuff is in Midgar, right? When you when you meet him, because he's talking about Hoji oh, and the scientists. Yeah, I guess I hadn't made so the connection. It's not in Midgar; it's scattered around the world, and it's all side quests. Okay. Oh, I thought it would be. When is you it worth our time? Quest. Yes. Okay. I mean, I assume you want us to do as many side quests as possible, as long as, as you're not... comfortable with. Yeah. You're not going to breed chocobos or fight. Well, you have to breed some to get to the thing you need, but. Uh, and we're not... You're not going to go after Knights of the Round. You're not going to fight the weapons. But you should definitely go to Lucretia's Cave and find out Vincent Steele. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I would like yeah. to. Um, 
But uh, then you continue north to Rocket Town, which Rocket is uh, Town. probably the coolest town that isn't Midgar in this game. Just because it has a giant rocket find, in it. Yeah, then you find Sid. Yep. Sid, when I was 12, was my favorite character in this game. You were shitty 12 He just, like, he was, he, like, he was gruff, <laughs> yeah, okay. and he swore, and he, he had a lance, and he had goggles, and he was cool. He's like a, like a steampunk wrestler. That's why you like him. Um, God damn it, woman, get enough of my engines. I was going to go to space. <laughs> That's my impression of Sid. <laughs> And yeah, Sid uh, was part of the Shinra space program because it, before they got into this Mako thing, they were like, well, what if we just go to in, got into space and got energy off of, like, cosmic rays or something? I don't know. They were going to mine asteroids, I think, was actually their deal. Because um, Shinra does all sorts of dumb things. Yep. Um, then they were like, what about this promised land rumor? Why don't we do that instead? Let's just do this all on a rumor. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and through no fault of his own or her own, uh, Sid and his uh, associate Shara, what's her name? It's something like Shira, something like that. Shira, we'll go with Shara. Yeah. Um, the rocket launch needs to be aborted, but the abort happens so late that it damages the rocket, and Sid blames Shira, and Shira blames herself, and so she basically is Sid's like indentured servant slash. They're not married. I don't no, know, they're not married. Girlfriend. Are they not? Yeah, because oh, okay. he... Because to me, it came off like... It is clear that she is into him, and it's intimated that he is into her, but they're in this negative place Somebody right calls her his wife at some point, and he gets really huffy about yes. it. Like, I would never marry her, are you kidding? Or, the idea of marriage makes me want to die, or something. He says something really goofy like that. I... I don't get why you're not as anti. Like I'm so anti Sid. I hate him He's so much. Gross, but it's not. I guess it's like nothing I haven't seen before in a character. I guess that's it. Sure. It. it it's more the. I. I, I uh, just at this point, like when I was playing this game again, like he just doesn't have a lot in there. So I just kind of glossed over him and moved on. Yeah, I'm kind of. I was in the same. Place. Yeah, me too. He's super. But minor. the the whole scene with him in the rocket, it's the most contrived. Oh no, I'm going to stay in the engines fixing these till the last seconds. Why can't you just wait 20 seconds till you, like, wait a minute, fix the engines, then launch the yeah. rocket? What, do you, what is I this? I didn't get, like, what was so great about him that she would almost sacrifice herself for this. Like, I that was dumb. Uh, but I didn't really have any strong feelings aside from that. <laughs> and it reminded me of Doctor Who as well, which is very oh, true. That's okay. fair. That's yeah, I'll give you that. So he gives you, he gives you, uh, he joins your party. You Shinra shows up to try to steal his plane, and he's like, "I'm not going to give this to Shinra." So you all pile on, and that plane scene is amazing. Oh, wait, and... the boss battle that you have to fight. Oh, all right, before that. best boss battle I laughed in the game. out loud. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I think I was on a Skype call with, was it you, Matt? And yes. You, oh, I started laughing. So, so you hard. fight Palmer, right? Yes. He is just a Shinra executive because you keep going through Shinra executives, <laughs> and he, uh, you fight him, and he, it's like a joke battle, right? I don't remember how it ends. So well, you, it's fully you're, a joke you're battle. fighting him, and like you oh. don't know this is coming, but like you're trying to he get the plane, away. and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna run away." And even in my guide, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, he just gets away. Okay, I'll move into the next thing. I guess I'll have to fight him later, or maybe he'll disappear." And he just gets hit by a he gets hit by a truck. <laughs> truck, <laughs> like. <laughs> He just runs away and then <laughs> and it happens out of 
nowhere because the truck just comes on screen and then he goes flying. Oh, it's th- and you're completely what? absolved of like this entire thing that could be a huge plot point or you know like even like a minor boss battle to like gain all the XP. It's just like this really goofy out of nowhere way to end. I I, mm-hmm. I love that. Del- I delighted love me. How how. I love how much Shinra as a corporation is a joke. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. I'm gonna talk. I want to stop and talk about Shinra and Wu Tai. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you get the plane, and as you take off, Shinra's soldiers shoot the wings full of holes. So the plane is now good as a plane, and just become it's like a seaplane. Just becomes your boat to travel for no fucking reason because you can travel anywhere. To travel in the shallows of the world map. Mm, I hate. I don't like the world so map much. at all. I don't like world map travel. It's so bad. So bad. It is. I almost it is turned it the off. Worst world map in Final Fantasy. It needs sure. to be labeled. Well, it needs. It clear they will trails. never be labeled, but the map will be better, and it'll be less confusing where you need to go in future games. Yeah, because that was a mess, and like I spent most of my time being lost. There's, there's actually only three games of the 3D world map. It's just the PS1 games because after that they stopped doing them. Mm, okay. Wait, is there not even a world map in ten? World map? No, ten. You walk from one end of the world to the other, and at the end you get an airship, and then you can just pick a location yep. that you've been to before to travel to. Wow, it's great. Okay, because I assumed that that's because the world map works exactly how it works in Lost Odyssey. Nope. Yeah. So I was like, I assume this is way more of a constant thing because Lost Odyssey 12, has all of that. There's no world map; it's just big zones because it's like an MMO. Oh no! I I know twelve is a completely different thing. Uh, th- I mean, th- it's a huge world, but it's all like like areas, mm. like the, yeah, oh. yeah, the Easter Sand and the North Easter Sand. <laughs> Soon I shall play twelve. <laughs> It'll be a great day. It's a good game. Um, and with that, you can uh, go to the next place, which I actually don't. Because I played this, I knew exactly where I need to go next, and I did not. I don't remember how the game points you at the next thing. Uh, you have to explore the entire world map. Go to a person who says, "Oh, hey, I think uh, he's going to get this." Oh, because you know that he's at the Temple of the Ancients. Yes. So, what you're meant to do is somehow using the world map. One, find the Temple of the Ancients, <laughs> which is somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Two, go to every single location to find one you haven't visited before to find someone who says, "Oh, the key to that is in the gold is in the golden saucer." Mm-hmm. And then three. Go to a different place that you, uh, somewhere you've been before through a different entrance to find <laughs> the way into the gold saucer because you can't get back into the gold saucer the proper way. Yeah, you pass like a Fuck. weapon shop and he mentions Dio. Like it, and I found that completely by chance. I didn't actually look at the guide for that. And all the other times I just used the guide or had Matt. Okay, show me this is, yeah, stuff. this is a world map exploration thing that you, like, it was, when it was in the, SNES, it wasn't, when it was in the SNES games, it was easier because the world map was, because it was just a, like a big sprite thing, it was way smaller and easier to put in your brain. That makes sense. It just seems Where it's like, you've got a new way of transport. Go explore and find the obvious places where you can go now that weren't there before. And that exists in the older Final Fantasies, but they weren't as aggravating as they are in this game. I hated everything about when I had to get to the golden saucer I was like this is the worst video game ever made why have I done this <laughs> yes. I it's like a very way. clunky bit but ostensibly what you need to do is gold the gold saucer which is now overrun with those black robed guys with yeah. tattoos to be, to be fair I had also been playing it for like 10 hours at yeah. one point um, and you talk to Dio who runs the gold saucer and he's like oh uh, this cool Sephiroth kid was here he wanted to, mm-hmm. this thing called the uh, 
Keystone? Yes, that what it's called? the Keystone. Uh, the Keystone, but it's in my collection. I won't give it to him, but I'll give it to you if you do the Battle Square. Just as a tutorial for the Battle Square. Uh, you can't win the Battle Square. Yet. I was going to ask because, like, the guide was like, "This is what you need to do to win the Battle Square," and then I lost no, like four. The Battle of the Square is a thi- like an optional way to get BP in like the late game. Okay. I didn't even try. I did. Um, I thought I could make it. <laughs> no, no, no! You can't make it. It's a good way to make BP. Because was fun. Once they were using like death and stuff on me, I was like, "Nah, I'm fine. Yep. I'm just gonna use this." Yeah, that's a place to go into when you're like high levels and everyone's got a ribbon and stuff like that. Um, but you get the keystone and, uh, you have your date, right? Yeah. Cause once you get the keystone, you're like, why don't we just hang out here for a night no, and chill and then we'll go leave. to the temple of the ancients. Yeah. The, 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 tra- the tram yeah. right. The tram's broken. So you you have to stay there. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess we'll just enjoy the hotel cause we get one night on the house. By the way, the goofy like haunted house hotel is the best location. It's hilarious. It. <laughs> so unexpected. And then there's that room where the... Then there's that room where they're like, okay, I wasn't here for this bit. I wasn't here for this bit. Cloud, what's happening? Please tell us the entire plot of this game. <laughs> oh, right. They have their sum up. Yeah, that's moment. pretty good. That's pretty yeah. cute. Everybody's sitting in a circle. Mm-hmm. And you go on your date. Uh, did everybody go on a date with Tifa? I did. Yes. Okay. The way this works is the game wants you to be on a date with Eris, but if you've been keeping Tifa in your party instead of Eris, and you've been mean to Eris and nice to Tifa and, like, weird choices that you get, like, you tell Eris you don't want to buy her flower and stuff like that. Um, I think I was nice to both of them. I, just I, I did yeah, the it's also... jail trick where you keep talking to Tifa. Yeah, yeah. that's that works, too. I did that, too. Um, I didn't need to. I just got Tifa. Uh... You, the game wants you to get Eris, but then you'll get Tifa. And if you don't get Tifa, if you've been mean to both of them, you'll get Yuffie. If you don't have Yuffie in your party yet, you can get Barrett. How does uh, that and he'll, work? Is it like a it joke? It plays out the exact same, which is Barrett instead of. Uh, can you kiss Barrett? I, I guess. I don't know. I've never actually done that. I Barrett assumed one. it was played for laughs because I'm cynical. I bet it is mm. in some way. I, oh, what would give you that impression earlier in the game? <laughs> what well. would give you that impression in all video games ever? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and you uh, go to a play, and the play is ridiculous, and you can just, uh, you're like the hundredth guests or something, right? Yeah. Is that what it is? And you're like, oh, come up on stage and be part of the show. And so you get a bunch of dumb options, and it's very silly. Uh I think everyone here kissed the Dragon King. Yep. Yep. Became a princess. Yep. And Cloud, in very uncloud-like fashion, is way into playing along in pirouettes off stage. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's the best thing. Yep. At this point, I feel like Cloud has definitely loosened up quite a bit. Oh yeah, he's goofy. He has he's gone through. A and lot. then you go on your gondola ride through the park. It's the most teen awkward it's thing. Cute. Yep. Ever. The, the person you're with is trying to be really earnest about their feelings and your feelings. <laughs> Cloud. But because you have minimal control of like Cloud's head for some reason, you can just yeah, you can do various like which way do you want to face and how do you want to like look <laughs> out the window. I kept leaning or towards <laughs> Tifa or just staring right at the breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. That was really yep. funny to me. Like oh Cloud, he's like Groucho Marx. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get all these. Uh, cutscenes of the park and fireworks and chocobo races and stuff. I did that the night before that scene happened, the date scene happened, so I was actually like kind of sad that I spoiled oh. it for myself. <laughs> yeah, cuz you can just go on that gondola ride whatever yeah. and whenever, but it's just cloud by himself. I was walking around the gold saucer. That's I was like I'll just do this whatever. <laughs> In your head, 
the Hulk sad piano music playing. <laughs> yeah, there's all this, this like happy carnival music, and he's just alone. Uh, but yeah, no. It's <laughs> and so you come back, and this is where you find uh, someone rummaging through your shit, right? Yes. Yeah, and you find Kate Sith uh, digging out the uh, keystone. And you are like, what are you doing? And he runs away, and you chase him throughout the entire park or whatever. And as you like, finally corner him, uh, he a helicopter appears at the edge of the gold saucer, and he tosses the keystone to the helicopter, and it's the Shinra and the Turks in the helicopter. Oh, the Turks! Yep. And Kate says, "Like, oh well, guess what? I'm actually a Shinra employee sent here to spy on you guys." And then he threatened to like attack him. He's like, it won't help because I'm actually a robot cat riding a robot Moogle <laughs> and I'm being controlled remotely from Shinra. And they're like, well, you're obviously out of the party because you're a bad guy. And then they're like, I bet not. And then they put Marlene on the radio because they have Marlene in captivity. Yep. And Barrett freaks out and he's like, you guys got to keep me in your party. <laughs> And so Kate Sith continues to stay in your party despite the fact that he's technically working for the bad guy. Yeah, that was weird. I thought you could kick um, him out, but nope. Nope. Uh, nobody likes Kate Sith anyway because he's a bad character. He but... doesn't even fight yeah, well. Cause... No. <laughs> no, he fights badly, he shows up and he's the worst. Oh, fucking Kate Sith. And then he's revealed to be a bad guy and you're like, great, I knew it. The interesting thing is, I think it's in Temple of the Ancients where it starts talking about that, is that he's not unsympathetic to you guys' goals. No, he's, he's not. just he's a guy just doing, doing his job. job. Yeah, it's like I, I was hired to do this, but I won't do anything else. I'm, I'm, I'm just a, ro- I'm just a Shinra employee. Yeah, he, you just imagine him up in Shinra Tower in like a cubicle on like the seventy eighth <laughs> floor, like with a joystick. Yeah. <laughs> That's the image I have in my head. Yep. It's pretty funny. Um, and so you're like, well, we don't have the keystone, but I guess we should go to the Temple of the Ancients anyway and see what's what. And you get there and you find the Turks in disarray and Shinra ruined because Sephiroth showed up as they were there using the keystone and wrecked them all. Oh, and Seng's death scene he's is not amazing. Dead. But whatever. He just walks in and he's been stabbed and he's like, oh no, I've been had. Collapse. <laughs> and the, when you talk to Eris in this segment, because Eris has to be in her party, she talks about the fact that her and Seng actually grew up together. Oh yeah. And he became a Turk because it was his way out of the slums and she became a flower girl, whatever. And so they had this thing where the Turks were constantly like, trying to get at her, but it like, it's implied that Seng was basically protecting them from outright kidnapping her until like she got involved with the avalanche. Yeah. Cause Seng's like coming up to her and like, we need you now. Come on. But he's never actually going beyond just pestering yeah. her. But you know, that didn't work. And uh, no. it, when you talk to Seng, it's like, Oh, well, he'll be okay. He's just hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of writhes around at the back. And you go into the worst dungeon in the entire game! <laughs> it's not that bad. It's terrible. I hate it. I mean, it's pretty bad. <laughs> like, trying to do it without a guide is basically impossible. Yeah, that's my Okay, yeah, I did use beat. a map. Yep. Like, if I didn't have a map and a guide and two people I could Skype for help, I don't think I would have enjoyed it at all. But when you get to the bottom of it, and that's all that really matters, you find Sephiroth looking at some cave paintings... And he reveals his great plan is that inside the Tumble of the Ancients is housed the Black Materia, which contains the ultimate black magic meteor. <laughs> and he's going to get it. And what he wants to do is to cause, like, the way Bugenhagen was talking is that when you damage the planet, the life stream, like, comes and, like, swarms that area to heal it. Like, 
like white blood cells in a wound. And what Sephiroth wants to do with the giant uh, black magic is to damage the planet so much that it'll have to use all the life stream to like heal that po- point. And he wants to be there when that happens and absorb all that power because he can do that because he's half like he's like weird alien baby. Mm-hmm. Because the the thing uh, they talk a little bit about, about it a bit more, but the thing with Genova is Genova came from the skies and the ancients got wiped out trying to defend the planet against Genova's attack because Genova absorbs life energy. Oh, defense of the ancients, yeah. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> um, uh, and so that's his goal is to and but the thing is like the the meteor the black magic could just destroy the planet like it's that powerful and even if. Like, if Sephiroth is right, and he, it's not going to destroy the planet, Sephiroth will take all the energy, and then the planet will be destroyed anyway. Because mm. all Sephiroth wants is a dead world, and then he can travel on to a different planet and do the same thing again, and become a god. Yep. Um, but then he leaves you to figure out how to get the Black Materia. Because he's like, whatever, and disappears. The video games. <laughs> and, but that's because the way the Black Materia works is the actual entire temple is the Black Materia. And you have to, like, compress the temple back down into its pure black materia form. And whoever does that is going to be killed. But luckily... You have a robot character <laughs> who's like, well, I guess it's my time to atone for my sins and do this. And... But there's no atoning because he's a freaking robot. I know. And then but he it's played as Kate Sith's heroic <laughs> moment where he sacrifices himself to, like, get and you the like, black materia. And they're like, oh, Kate Sith. I guess he wasn't that bad. And then there's a whole scene where Se- Cloud is controlled by Sephiroth and a lot of bad shit goes down and an heiress is kidnapped. And in the middle of that, Kate is like, hey, guys, I'm back. Yep. <laughs> Basically, like, you're like you're looking at the crater and Cloud freaks out and gives the black materia to Sephiroth. And doesn't know yeah, why. And you're like, this is strange. Yep. Lose control of my like, body. It's, a, it's, it's one of those scenes where, like, you can control Cloud struggling, right? But he'll always give the material over. Yeah, like, I yeah. just yeah. kind of walked forward. And I was like, I didn't mean to do that. Because I thought it was something I had to do. No, no, it'll be like the thing in the in the uh, capital where you can, like, fight it. But you can't actually do anything but progress. Because your yeah. will is not your own. For mysterious reasons. And, uh... While that, while everyone's like sad and like, what do we do now? And looking at this giant crater, Kate Sith bounds up. It's like, what's going on? What are you looking at? Did we win? I'm a new robot. Uh, there was another one of me lying around. I'm back. Hey everyone. Hi. And he's like, now I'm not, I'm just going to do this because I want to help you guys. So I'm on your party full time. And, uh, I mean, like a sane person would be like, of course you're lying, but actually you can take him at his word because anime. Mm. Wait, is he actually lying? No, no, he's not going to betray you the rest of the game. He's fine. Okay. Yeah, because I assumed we were done with this character. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm I'm sure we'll, like, he'll meet the actual him at some point, but... I kind of don't want uh, to. I don't want any more. Only if you're paying attention, because it never outright says who it is, but you can run into him. Okay. But I assumed that we were just like, no more Kate Sith drama. There are actual characters to focus on now. And then you have, then you're like, well, it's time to rest. And you have this strange dream. (laughs) And it's you and Eris in the forest, which Destiny, you described as a French New Wave dream. Oh, yeah. It was totally like last year at Marienbad. Just like, what's going on? What? You'll never guess what happens to her. <laughs> and she says, hey, I like Sephiroth's got this black magic. I think I know a way to stop him. I have to go do this alone. There's nothing you guys can do to help me. So I'm going to go do this. Bye. 
And she, yep. she leaves. Goodbye, Eris. And Cloud and them are like, well, this cannot stand. And we'll have to go get her. But first, I implored you, you all. This is the, this is literally the worst place in the game to do this side quest. <laughs> Fine. I did it, I did it right before, but getting the weapons that you get in Temple of the Ancients helps a lot. Definitely. Uh, because they're I all really I think the best powerful. place to be at the beginning of Disc 2 is probably the best place to do this. It's, you can't actually do it until pretty deep into Disc 2. Oh, okay. Why, why can't you do it immediately after Disc 2? Because there's a lot of railroading story stuff that happens. I mean, I assume I... You're not, I assume I you are not getting skills back onto the world map with the tiny Bronco for a while. Mm, okay. Can I not run back, though? No. What kind of what game do you run think backwards? you're playing? <laughs> I, I am still so much time. I'm still in the area I'm still in the area at the end of disc one there's a way back to the world map disc one doesn't just like if I remember correctly disc one does not begin right on that screen disc two disc two right I'm at the save point I was in at the end of disc one I was at the save point oh, on the outside I get, of maybe city. you can but for the most part I, the minute you continue the story you're in like a weird railroad section of the game okay um but off on there is a small continent on the east side of or the west side of the map that you can go to once you have the tiny bronco and once you land there you can only land on one little strip to the south and you get you encounter a bunch of shinra troops who are like halt and you get into a battle with them and you realize that all of your magic is gone how happened and you fight them all (laughs) and And when you get back uh, to the main menu you're like all my materia is gone oh hey yuffie's gone also Whoops. Because yep. your Materia Thief Ninja did as she is wont to do and stole all your Materia. Ugh. And so you have to march to the top of the continent to the only town on this land, which is Wutai. Which just happens to be Yuffie's hometown. And it sets itself up kind of as Yuffie's backstory, but it's barely about that. Well, if you talk to everybody, you discover that Wutai was... Like, the one yeah, place is, like... that's not the thing, I know, though. but we'll set it up. It's the one place that, like, resisted Shinra, and they were, like... They had a lot of materia, and they were, like, these powerful, like, people. But Shinra basically stormed in and beat them all down in a war, and then took all the materia and demilitarized them. Uh, because it's Japan analog. Yeah. Uh, and basically, they've been under Shinra occupation ever since. And Yuffie wants to rearm the populace, and that's why she stole all your materia, because you were a huge armed force for, like, six people. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you've got to get it back. This is also where the Turks are vacationing for the second time. Because <laughs> when you're in Costa del Sol, the Turks are there and just hanging out. Hey. They're like, oh, we're, we're on vacation. We'll see you guys around. <laughs> and, like, even Hojo's good. on the beach with a bunch of, like, ladies around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course he is. And here... Uh, the Turks are just drinking, drinking hard for the record. Uh, they seem out of sorts. Rudin Reno can go for a while. And the Turks are like the secret police of, uh, of Shinra. They all wear suits. They're like special agents and they're all super cool because they're goofy. And they're like an, they're like a parallel party of going on their own adventure around the world because they get, mm-hmm. like, you fight them over and over again, but they're humanoid. They don't do anything particularly, like, out of the ordinary. They have, like, their own abilities that evolve and change over time. You could imagine a Turks game where you're just going around the world being Turks. And yep. they're the best characters in the game. Because <laughs> they're very silly and very self-aware. 
All the Turks have long conversations about their crushes. Yep. And <laughs> because the Turks are a bunch of high schoolers and basically are saying the stuff the players probably have been saying to themselves the entire time. They're great. <laughs> and then and then Alan is just like, I really want to get with Sang. <laughs> yep. And Sang's like, okay, hi, Alana. Um, and basically, uh, as you go through and you find Yuffie, uh, she gets captured. And Elena gets captured as well. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you and the Turks have to team up to get back your party members. And it's the it best thing. This. It is the actual best Turks. thing. Because this game's so railroady and always on in its story. I mean, not to the extent 13 is, because like, this this game is the most like light thing compared to 13. But it doesn't afford much opportunities to just let characters just hang out and interact. And this is one of those. It's the most like non-arc, mid-season episode type thing, where... The Turks are doing a thing, and then you're doing a thing, and you team up, and then you do a thing, and then there's like a fun villain from earlier in the yep. game, and Don Corneo comes back. Don Corneo comes then, back, and you fight him. It's monster. our job. <laughs> yep, and you get the best mo- single moment in the game where when you first fought Don Corneo in the wall market, or you encountered him, he gave you this like multiple choice of like, why do you think I'm monologuing about this? And it's like, oh, because you're overconfident, or because you don't think you can win, or whatever. And uh, then he's like, wrong, because I've got, I, like, had you beat all along, and then he makes a trapdoor happen or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the Turks, like, turn it around and ask him the same question after the fight where he's, like, hanging on a ledge, right? Mm-hmm. And what do they ask him? Do you remember? Why do, you, why do we do this, I think it is. Oh, right. And there's a bunch of options, and uh, he's like, he just picks one, right? Hang on. Um, or do you pick I'm one? I'm checking. I think he he picks one. Okay, he picks one of like no, he says he's like all the options are wrong, right? Oh, yeah, his his, his the line is all right. Uh, why do you think we went to all the trouble of teaming up with those guys to get you? One because we were ready to die. Two because we were sure of victory. Or three because we were clueless. And then he goes two number two, <laughs> and then it's Reno goes all wrong. Corneo falls to his death. The correct answer was, and then Reed picks up, because it's our job. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and they just have a full-on oh. sunglasses Caruso <laughs> deal with it moment. Yep. Yeah! <laughs> because the Turks are the best. It's fantastic. Yep. They are willing to do what you can't, and they're cooler at it while they do it. <laughs> a little bit dorky, because CSI. Yep. But more it was also ten years dorky. before that was a thing. Oh, I so. know, but it just it well in that context, it just looks like something out of a Tarantino movie. Yeah, for sure, they are like Reservoir Dogs characters. Totally, they're mm-hmm. super funny. Um, and then Yuffie gives you your materia back, but in another like add insult <laughs> injury, gives them all back in the wrong order. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a great time to stop and like reassess your material situation and maybe make some changes. It was super I helpful. It. Just it dealing with everything prior to her giving it back was kind of like, like her. It, it kind of marred her character for me. But she explains herself, and I see where she's coming from. And but I feel like I'm cloud. I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, fair. And then the game ends, and this one ends with surprise. Eris dies. So yeah, you go to go dies. to the uh, forgotten capital, and uh, Eris is there, and she's praying, and you go up to her, and Cloud has another freakout, which means Sephiroth's near, and Cloud pulls out his sword and almost kills Eris. Yeah. Uh, 
He's and Sephiroth just full on. Well, I guess I have to do uh, everything yeah, like, myself. Yeah, like actually stops himself. Right, like he's like I can't yeah. do this. Uh, shaking off control, which is nice, good for Cloud. But then uh, Sephiroth takes matters into his own hands and descends from the ceiling in one of gaming's most in like in like significant moments that people will remember forever. Uh, descends and stabs Eris, and she dies, and her materia falls into the water as magical piano music plays. Mm. And she do we actually lose her materia? It's plot relevant. Oh. Remember when you met her? She's like, I have this material, but it does nothing. Oh, oh that's okay, the other yeah. material. Yes. Yep. Okay. Forgot all you, about you, it. Your actual material is all Yes, your actual material is back. This is just the material that she had as part of her character beat. It'll come back around. I bet. Well, cool. Uh, and obviously uh, Sephiroth gloats and then flies away again or whatever and leaves Did another general for you to fight. Uh and uh, sad music plays over the entire boss fight, which I think is a great touch. I love that. I love the sad music boss fight so much. And then it just goes into the funeral and she's on the on the water. Yep. Cloud is very distraught. He'll never see her smile again. So sweet. All of that. So sad. It's, it's uh, you know, as much as I knew this was going to happen, obviously, and had seen it a bunch of times, and I don't really like Eris, Cloud's reaction, like, sells this moment. Oh, I completely I agree. It's very realistic. Uh, I got choked up when Tifa touched Eris and then like put her hand to her mouth, like kind of in like a like maybe holding back tears, perhaps. Like that was a weirdly poignant moment for me. With her, with her giant like ham fist. Oh yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. worked even with that. I was no, no, no. It works because of that. I feel. Like. <laughs> well, I I think the whole thing with this game and how it handles the writing and these moments and stuff is that because the writing in terms of the words that are used is for the most part terrible. Yeah. Uh, but the core of the structure is good enough for everything to work. Yep. Like. It is a well constructed story with yeah. things to say and themes. And the everything. the real take um, the real takeaway of these interactions is it actually doesn't take a lot to make characters that you invest in and like in, respond to their interactions between them. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And then everyone musters their resolve and decides to carry on and find Sephiroth, even though Eris is dead, even though her plan to stop the black magic has clearly failed uh, because. I don't know. Whatever she was doing didn't seem to stop her from getting stabbed, and you soldier on anyway. Yep, and the disc that, ends. My Chemical Romance song plays, and they carry on. End of disc one. Yay! Cool. We're about halfway through the game now. You, I feel like you both had kind of slow starts to this game. We did, because I I always start <laughs> JRPGs specifically with this weird commitment phobia where I'm like this is going to be long it's going to be a slog Same. oh no Same. but I, I'm always wrong same. I'm always wrong yeah not saying you both uh, you both enjoyed this game quite a bit right oh yeah yeah can't wait to get to disc 2 it's full of great stuff so we've covered I think most of the things I want to talk about any final thoughts I hope it continues to be this like weird interesting thing that it's proven to be so far. I'm excited to see what twists and turns come up in the plot. Um since our par- party members like we're done collecting them, I wonder like what other minor characters are going to pop up, especially like as far as Shinra company people are concerned. Well, Jackson doesn't get to predict cuz he's seen too much of what's on the other end of this. Mm. 
But that almost makes my predictions more interesting, but I can't say them in front of Destiny. Yeah, sadly. So, Destiny, what do you think happens in the next disc and change of Final Fantasy? Oh, I can't even imagine. What do you think happens immediately next? Uh, Well, I feel like we're going to get, like, a... Hmm. Do we have to, like, go back to Eris' mother? Or her adopted mother? I assume... I, I... I don't know. I I really want that because I think the original flashback that had Eris's mother and her story. I love me that flashback. too. I want to go back. That to was one of the well. first parts of the game where I realized, like, oh, I'm like watching something that's really well written, like or playing something mm-hmm. that's really well written. I mean, ostensibly the Japanese version might have been really well written. The translation is just not. I just mean like uh, we you just, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The emotional content is there in real. Oh yes, and even like the. Well, I don't know what a better word for it is because I'm sleepy, but like the cinematography of, of just how that looked was kind of, it was the first glimmer that you weren't playing. Like this ain't your grandpappy's JRPG. Mm-hmm. Everyone was getting off the train and there was no one for her. Oh. You guys. <laughs> uh, broader strokes, what do you think's going to happen? Oh, Any predictions? well, we gotta, we gotta figure out why Cloud doesn't trust himself. I think there's going to be more weird cloud identity stuff being revealed. Um, I think we're not done with the Turks. I think they're going to come back. Maybe we'll team up again. I'm hoping for another team up because that was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, that's not going to happen again, I bet. That was such a one-off mm, thing. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm only commenting on things I'm I don't know. I'm just hoping for it. Uh, yeah. I assume we get... Uh, you said there's a uh, Vincent b- b- backstory. Um, yep. You'll get some more Sid stuff that hasn't all paid off okay, yet. Okay, more black okay. robes. Oh, definitely more black robes. Oh, yes, spooky. black ro- the black robe more stuff. stuff. Oh, I love the black um, stuff. I assume you know um, we're gonna stay on Sephiroth's tail, but like you know, since we've got this uh, streak of I actually, I bet. Halfway through disc two, you stop following Sephiroth, and bigger things. Emerge. Oh, you think so? Um, See, I think like we've yeah. got vengeance on our minds, and it's all everything's much darker. I think we do have vengeance on our minds, but I bet new information comes to light, and we are then both us and Sephiroth are heading for the same hmm. thing. The Sephiroth thing gets Sephiroth. way more complicated. I will say that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Of I'm not it does. surprised about that. Uh, you'll find out what reunion is for sure. <laughs> uh, Creepy. Yes, I just want to play it now. I don't want to play fucking Dishonored. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but Dishonored's cool too. Uh, so that's it for Final Fantasy VII. We won't do Jackson's predictions uh, because... You know what? Actually, we're going to finish this podcast. Destiny's going to go take a nap, and me and Jackson are going to do a slight prediction thing because I actually want these on like recording. Yeah, I think you should do that. I really do. These will probably go in the next episode, though. This episode's already run for seven hours. Uh, next one's going to be long, too, but yeah, sure. Right. So did you say it was Final uh, Fantasy seven hours?
So with that said, this podcast has already run on really long, and we don't have a lot of uh, questions, any, really, because our fan base, as small as it is, is really dropping the ball. Our Twitter followers not picking up the slack. We have some, and they listen, and they give feedback, but they don't have anything to ask. Yep. But that's okay, because this is a long podcast anyway, so... Yeah, we didn't need it. Um, come back in two weeks, uh, three, whatever. Come back on Halloween for Dishonored Talk. And come back a few weeks after that for the end of Final Fantasy VII and talk about what's next for the RPG mm-hmm. Explorers Club. Oh, I'm Me so excited. Too. We should talk about that, like, now. Plug Zone. We're Plugs Rule. Destiny, give us our plugs. Well, I can be found on Twitter at FridgeBuzzNow, all one word. My podcast, well, my main podcast that I do every other week with Rhea Dauhauer can be found at BadlandGirls.com. Um, we're about to record an episode about Twin Peaks, so look for that soon. Um, oh, I can't listen I know, to that one. No, I'm neither sorry. of us can listen to that one. <laughs> we're really excited about it. Whatever David Lynch has up his sleeve for next year, or, you know, not next year, it's 2016, right? Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Twin Peaks is coming back, everyone. Um, and also, um, I did some stand-up for a public access station, and that can be found on YouTube. I assume it's you posted it to the Badland Girls blog? Um, I did not, but it is on my Twitter. You should put it on the Badland Girls okay, blog. Okay, I'll put it on when uh, we drop our next episode. I'll link to it. Okay. So it will be on BadlandGirls.com. Okay. Jackson, your plugs. I'm at TYLEA002 at Twitter. We have a movie podcast called Trashbeck Ratio at TrashbeckRatio.com, and that's... Yeah. You have writing. That's... But it's abnormal mapping. I know. That's part of this. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find me at LitRock, L-I-T-R-O-C-K. I am throwing down on the YouTube channel these days. Check it out. Oh, you yeah, so you are. are. We need to do that backlog. And uh, I've got a book club, booksforcrooks.tumblr.com. If you want to read some books and listen to us talk about them, you can do that. I am also in the book uh, club. It's a good time. I'm actually like two weeks behind on putting up last month's episode, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll try not to I'll, I won't let him know so yeah uh, come back next time for Final Fantasy 7 for this anyway uh, and Dishonored Dishonored is going to be a good talk me and Jackson are probably just going to yell at each other for an hour oh yeah I'm looking forward to listening to that you guys alright do we have a segment too? no ain't no getting off this train we on
And here we are with Jackson's Final Fantasy VII predictions. <laughs> Samurai spoiler. You. So you've played one disc of Final Fantasy and you've seen Advent Children and you're on the internet. <laughs> yes. So, so tell me what you think happens in the second half of Final Fantasy VII. Okay, so you go snowboarding immediately after Aeris dies, cause that's grief in Japan. And you do stuff. Uh, also, Z- Zack and you have some weird conscious thing going on, because Zack's actually dead. Zack and Aerith knew each other, and Zack's been dead f- for years. Uh, and his consciousness or memories are somehow mixed up with yours in some way. I don't know how that actually works out, but I know... I mean, if you're paying attention to the game, you probably know that anyway. Because uh, there's enough hints of that for you to put two and two together. Something's up with there. Uh... For some reason, I thought this is the this is why this is being recorded. Is that I matter of fact, he said, "Oh yeah, because the end boss of Final Fantasy VII is a is a media <laughs> attacking Earth." Because <laughs> I had the image of this media attacking like like you dealt with several and then there was this big force of nature media that you had to destroy, and. You fought a giant media. Yeah, well, you said that to was me, the end boss. I was talking about how I said One Wing Angel's the final boss theme, and you're like, that's weird, because I was associated with that with Sephiroth, and Sephiroth's not the final boss of that game. And I was like, wait a second, what do you think the final boss of Final Fantasy VII is? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it's a fucking meteor, isn't it? <laughs> and I had a good laugh, a very good laugh, because no, the final boss. <laughs> so I guess the final, fa- the boss of this game is Sephiroth then, if that's his song. I mean, I feel like that's a thing everybody knew, so. I just assumed that he was so the face of the game and the main No, no, no. It's after this game that-, that Final Fantasy started throwing in random final boss battles that had nothing to do with the main plot. Okay, because I assumed that that... I'm a bit disappointed by that, because you're going to fight Sephiroth. I assume like Sephiroth will be the first in a series of three final bosses, mm. is, was my actual assumption. Nope. You're right about the number of final bosses. Who are... So, Genova, Sephiroth, and Rufus. <laughs> Kill Rufus in five seconds. <laughs> I hope one of the final bosses is in effect to Shinra boss. If you picked Rufus, you have not been paying attention to Advent Children. Because Rufus is totally an Advent Children. Oh, okay. I haven't, I saw that film years ago. Okay. What do I remember at Advent Children? I remember there's a cult of people who worship Sephiroth trying to bring Sephiroth back. Yes. Uh, I remember there's a virus going around, but I think that's new in that's Advent totally Children. That's totally new and very stupid. Yep. I remember Vincent moping. Yep, he has a Nokia phone. <laughs> fucking does he? <laughs> I remember, um, what else? I remember Clouds being, like, sad on a motorcycle for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. I remember the end of it is, I have to do this alone. Yep. Again, for no reason. That seems completely thematically against everything Final Fantasy VII is Absolutely, about. Absolutely, because the end of Final Fantasy is, <laughs> oh, we all need to do this together. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Cloud is at the start of Final Fantasy VII. He is, I must do this alone. And that's wrong. Yep. He sh- that's the worst way to do this. Because half of that in game fact, is Tifa going... Final Fantasy VII explicitly has a moment, the best one in the movie, in the middle of What's... the film, where it's, we all have to do this together. Oh, exactly. <laughs> we are, we are so burning good. next cast. <laughs> oh, yeah. But if you're listening to this, you've already... Uh, yeah, my other predictions are that'll happen... Uh, seeing Advent Children and knowing that the Turks and Shinra are still around makes me feel weird about where Final Fantasy VII is going. Okay. Because I feel like Final Fantasy VII 
place places Shinra as the ultimate bad guy mm-hmm. because you know Sephiroth and like Dino whatever they're all victims of Shinra's like they're a joke and they're doing like they're like bad and ineffectual and like terrible at what they're doing but it's their oppressive shitty abusive system that has created all the problems and like they're the actual evil things and the dangerous individuals come out of this uh shitty system that they're kind of controlling Advent so children the fact that Shinra is still around. Advent children does a lot of walking back around that stuff specifically. Okay, because I get ad for fan service because you need the Turks. Yes, there. but why would have preferred independent Turks? Because the Turks are the best part of Advent children. <laughs> yeah, I remember them. There's that bit at the start where they're in that tower type thing and they're walking around. And they're doing their thing. There's that bit with the bomb at the end that's amazing. Yep, and they're standing there on the highway. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited to watch Advent Children again. Except for the part uh, where Tifa can... says dilly dally, shilly shally, like that's a thing human beings say. She you was... don't remember that? Like no. she has like a catchphrase and it's like dilly dally, shilly shally, and I don't know what it's supposed to mean. I assume it's like a literal translation of a Japanese thing, but it's nonsense. It must have been no idea. No idea. Yeah, that's not a thing human that's beings serious. say. That's not a thing human beings say. No. That's that's stupid. I I assume you and Destiny are going to watch that together. Yes. That's going to be a beautiful. I think moment. I'm going to use it as an excuse to buy the like extended version. There's an extended director's yeah. cut. Oh yeah, they have released one in like 2012. Yeah. That was the whole new footage. Because yeah. you know the only thing that was missing was more footage. Watching that on Blu-ray is how I want to watch that again because it's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. It's just very stupid. <laughs> it's incredibly stupid. Alright, we're done with this. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to that entire ska version of that Final Fantasy song. It's great. Go play Theatre Them. Jackson, don't go play Theatre Them. Go play more Final Fantasy. That's the plan. Podcasts. We're done. That was a good segment. <laughs>